a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. October, October, uh, other than the leaves, fall season and all that, uh, it's, ho- it's the Halloween season, season of the witch, season of masks, seasons of trick-or-treat, seasons of horror movies, actually horror movies, a lot of them came out over the summer. This October, Even when Mark goes movies. on like three or four road trip vacations. <laughs> that, that person you hear chopping at the bit. To, uh, to get in here, because <laughs> we've taken like two months off. That would be Sean Comer. How you doing, Sean? Hi, everybody. I'm Sean. Hi, you're not, and I've had Sean, you're the fuck spoiled out of me by a bunch of Scots and Englishmen. <laughs> that sounds like a story, but what I was getting to <laughs> was... Yeah, we told you not be interrupted by the damn echo, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully the echo goes away. Uh, this being the Halloween season... Uh, every year, Long Road to Ruin, we like to at least do one uh, horror-themed show. Uh, but as we all know, historically, I'm not into the gore. I'm not into the slasher stuff. So I tried to find a something having to do with horror 
that uh, that would be interesting, maybe a little off the beaten path. Um, the, the gentlemen that are going to be talking with me tonight have already done a nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, so I think last year we did Jaws. This year we are looking at the Hannibal Lecter series of movies, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, uh, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising. And we're going to split this into two parts. Uh, I can't really say the good ones and the bad ones like it normally happens on this show because there's like one good one and I think three bad ones. <laughs> but um, I'm not really sure about Red Dragon. But boy, did, boy Hannibal. Well, we'll talk about it. Um, that is Sean. Hi. So what's going on, Sean? What's new in, in your world? Oh, well, I've been away for two months. I got bored and needed something to do. And then my good friend Stuart Lang approached me and said, hey, yo, I got this website I'm starting. You want to come write some things and then podcast some things? And I said, yeah, I like to write things and podcast some things. And so I've been appearing off and on there for the last couple of months while doing while going on all my other little various and sundry merry adventures around the desert that I go on when I'm not on the air trying to entertain you folk. Um, So, yeah, basically about uh, once a week for about the last uh, six, seven weeks or so, uh, I've been chiming in on wrestling and MMA and gaming and the odd music and and movies and such here and there. Uh, which really plays havoc with my schedule because obviously most of, most of the FPG news staff uh, is over in Europe, with the exception of like like the the only Yanks are me, Jeremy Lambert, and I think I think we got one or two other Americans on staff now, but otherwise, yeah, everybody is is like eight hours ahead of me. So pretty much, pretty much every time Stuart says what time he says what time he wants to podcast, I have to get out a damn abacus and figure <laughs> out the time difference uh, so that I know when to take my lunch break and be set up on Skype. So no, it's it's been fun, but it's it's been a pretty typical fall out here in Arizona. Uh, the coyotes are taking the ice again. Uh, the Diamondbacks are restaffing their management and working on their golf games. Uh, and, yeah, I'm getting settled in for about another, oh, six, seven months or so of hoodies and jeans weather, starting from, like, right wow. now. Okay, um, very good. We have two guests on the show. One is our resident expert in all things Hannibal Lecter. And the other is our uh, title card artist who uh, just loved him some Hannibal, submitted some great artwork for us this time around. Uh, a couple of pictures, as a matter of fact. So if you're watching the show on the website, you'll see a gallery of his artwork come up and then a couple of movie, uh, movie pictures. So first, uh, the man is going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting on this show. He actually did an entire two-hour podcast on Hannibal Lecter by himself when he was doing a little show called... Uh, Everyone loves a bad guy. Ladies and gentlemen, my good buddy, it's his birthday, so make sure you wish him well. This is Mr. Robert Winfrey. How you doing, sir? Uh, you know, I was really hoping this would be the one time when the Earth would fail to make its circumnavigation of the sun, and I just I could avoid turning 31, but darn if it's not just a little planet that could all over again. 
<laughs> Happy birthday, buddy. Uh, just nobody sing. That's all I ask. No, I have. I, I honestly, it's been it's been a day, and I forgot. I, I sent you the little minions thing. I hope you enjoyed that. Your birthday, but I did not minions. upload any. I love minions. <laughs> I, I did not upload any birthday music this time, so no Ramones, no Cracker, no no nothing, uh, and we're not singing to you. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. No, no, you are appreciated, sir. That that, that should be good enough. Uh, and as I said before, uh, last is. man. Last man to be introduced here, but certainly uh, not forgotten, Benjamin J. Cologne. How you doing, sir? Hello, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, Hello, Ben. Hi. Happy birthday, Robert. Thanks. Hey, we got the band <laughs> back together for the uh, the uh, Halloween uh, band, plus Mark. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm here, too. Yeah, I'm not going to... I'll have some stuff to say about, about both movies, but uh, like like I said, you know, we have the resident expert, and you, of course, are a huge fan. So this is this is your guys' show. I'm just here to provide free airtime, free for you guys, not, not, not for me. Anyway, um, so let's get into it. Uh, like like I said, tonight we're gonna be talking Silence of the Lambs, which came out in 1991, and uh, the sequel to that, Hannibal, which came out in 2001. Um, the continuation of this story started in uh, Silence of the Lambs, but uh, Jodie Foster did not reprise her role. It was, in fact, uh, taken on by, oh, gosh. Uh, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. And there it is. I have it in my notes. Um, so real quick, just to kind of a roundtable here, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to Sean for notes and then back to Robert. But I kind of want to get everyone sort of, you know, 50-word or less take on um, how they came to Hannibal. Um, and then I have a question for Robert before this goes any further. So just, just real quick around the table, Robert, Sean, Ben, um, in that order. How did you come to Hannibal? Why are, why are we here tonight talking about this? Where does the passion come from? Uh, believe it or not, I vividly remember the first time I saw Silence of the Lambs. Uh, it was the early nine, uh, excuse me, late 90s, not quite early 2000s. Uh, I was at a friend's house. I remember, you know, my friend and his father, uh, it was Halloween. And so, you know, uh, his friend and I, my friend and I were just you know, looking for a horror movie on television because we were both good Mormons. Uh, so, you know, we weren't looking for anything too hard. So, just, you know, what's on television? And his dad came in as we were channel surfing and found Silence of the Lambs. Uh, we And turned it on. And I, I, I mean, neither of us knew anything about it, but, you know, we were expecting something in the vein of uh, a nightmare on Elm street, you know, something kind of surrealistic and slashery. And we came in and we actually started very near the beginning. Uh, I believe it's with Clarice's first uh, discussion with Dr. Chilton. And he, his dad said, he was also my scout leader at the time. Just, Nope, this is, trust me, this is a classic scary movie. Just go with it. Uh, I actually wound up leaving prior to the conclusion of the film. I, because uh, again, this Halloween just at a friend's house. I left after Hannibal's escape, but before the resolution of Buffalo Bill's story. So that led to a very fruitful evening of sleep. Sure. Uh, I, I was just enthralled by this movie again, and this is you know early teens me. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I read all three of the books in chronological order. I've yeah, this is probably my favorite movie ever. 
as I started getting into you know, the analytical side of things, you know, as Mark and I you know, discuss movies, this is one of the few movies I can watch and I have zero complaints about. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins as Lecter was just uh, you know, completely mesmerizing. As I've matured, I've grown as much appreciation for both Ted Levine and Jodie Foster's performances. The books are all very good. Uh, you know, there's some issues with Hannibal and Hannibal Rising, and I'm, we'll get to those in their appropriate course. But just, this was one of those movies that I think in my you know, developmental cycle started my appreciation for villainy because the first time you watch Silence of the Lambs, you come away thinking and feeling and remembering Hannibal Lecter more than anyone else. Very true. Sean? Okay, well, this is kind of funny because back when I was in, this is kind of spanning almost sort of three different eras in my life here, actually, as I just came to realize. Uh, back when I was very young, when I was in elementary school, I had this yearly fascination with the Academy Awards. And this was back when the Oscars still actually meant something. When, back in the early 90s, when you could look at the movies that managed to sweep every single major award, and even looking back now, there are only a few times when you can look at something and say, how in the name of Jesus Christ on a stick did that take home as many awards as it did? And uh, keep in mind, I, I was only in, like, I think between third and Oh, man. Remind me, because uh, I'm blanking off the top of my head. I don't have all my notes in front of me. Uh, what what year was Silence of the Lambs released? 91. February of 91. Okay, 90- it won the Oscar in 92. Then. Okay. okay. <laughs> it beat Beauty uh, and the Beast, so I, which is still okay, so, one so of the I only been, animated movies. So, yeah, so I would have been in uh, about uh, third grade when Silence of the Lambs came out 
and uh, swept all and swept all the Oscars. And obviously, my my just being a little kid, you know, my greatest achievement as far as seeing you know grown up movies at that time was when I was in second grade. I somehow managed to con my dad into renting RoboCop for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm kind of proud of that too. Uh, but at this point, obviously, I hadn't seen the vast majority of movies that were nominated. But for some reason, it still held this weird fascination for me. So I was, by the time I was old enough to actually see this movie, these movies, I was already well and truly familiar with them. And so Silence of the Lambs, with me having the kind of memory that I do from that early age, was kind of ingrained in, oh, this is kind of a classic movie. Jodie Foster and and Anthony Hopkins. And I didn't realize until later who directed it, but the uh, guy who directed it was also a really good director. Thumbs up for that. And then uh, this was back when I was growing up in Minnesota, and then years later uh, I would move to South Dakota when my dad changed jobs. And it was while I was there that I read, well, that I first off got to finally see Silence of the Lambs because around the time I turned 16, my parents' restrictions got a little more lax and I was allowed to see more, more of the, you know, the grown-up movies, uh, which was, you know, also how I ended up seeing Clockwork Orange for the first time right around the same time. And... I also got my hands on and read a copy of Red Dragon. And after I read Red Dragon, I read Silence of I read Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I had not seen Manhunt by this point, so Silence of the Lambs was my only exposure to Hannibal Lecter on the big screen. Uh, a few years later, I would move to Missouri, and this was around the time Hannibal was hitting theaters. And so... I went to see Hannibal, and God, I I had problems with it even then. Uh, when my critical <laughs> skills were not nearly as sharp as as they are now, uh, it's still a goddamn sight better than Hannibal Rising, in my opinion. But then a few years later, I think it was uh, would have been I think when I was in college. Uh, Red Dragon hit theaters. Uh, the, the second version of the one directed by Brett Ratner and starring Edward Norton, Anthony Hopkins, Ray Fiennes, and Harvey Keitel. And my opinion was it, it, it was like a throwback back to everything that I loved about Silence of the Lambs. So I was enamored with it. I absolutely loved that movie, still love it to this day. And then I saw Hannibal Rising, and fuck me sideways. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> but God damn, was that an unpolishable turd. Uh, I do remember thinking, having obviously read the first three books by that time, wondering wondering why the fuck this thing even existed. Like, why do you need to continue this story? But then when I found out it was a prequel, I thought, oh, Okay, because they kind of referred to some of Hannibal's backstory in uh, in the, in the the third book, Hannibal. Oh, okay, that might be 
kind of sort of intriguing to see played out. And and I just like, nope, <laughs> nope. Um, my uh, my when something is particularly bad, uh, my my buddy Jeremy, not not Lambert, although Jeremy's a great Jeremy Lambert's a great guy as well. Uh, my buddy Jeremy Hulsoff and I have got like a shorthand <laughs> of Simpsons quotes for almost any occasion. It's it's not unlike how when Robert when when Robert and I. Uh, start talking on Facebook chat off the air. Everything eventually breaks down into invaders and jokes. Uh, when so, when something is particularly bad, uh, like so bad, we don't even, we just want to just acknowledge we experienced it once and moved on. Either myself or Jeremy just says, "Let us never speak of the shortcut again." <laughs> <laughs> That was that. That was my opinion of of Hannibal Rising. Was well, I paid to watch it. I can't unwatch it. Let us never speak of the shortcut again. <laughs> I need to apologize to everyone for that because several months ago, Mark asked me on Facebook, just kind of out of the blue, if we're talking about the Hannibal Lecter movies, do we have to consider Hannibal Rising canon, for want of a better phrase? And I said yes, yes, yes. and immediately realized, <laughs> immediately realized that means I'm inflicting this movie on people who might not have seen it before. Oh God, I'm going to hell. Yeah. So yes. for the record, I forget For the record, prior, prior to prepping for uh, tonight's show, um, and I still haven't seen Red Dragon or Hannibal Rising, so I'm really excited because it sounds like a piece of shit. And we all know how much I love shit. Um, uh, I saw Silence of the Lambs around when it came out. Um, I liked it then, too. I, you know, I, I've never necessarily been scared of that movie or even necessarily thought of it as a horror film, though that seems to be where it's fallen. Um, I thought you know, it seemed to be more of a psychological thriller slash detective story. And, and, and in many ways it is. Um, but like I said, I, 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 I was familiar with that movie and it is great. It's a stellar movie. And I, it was one of those where like it was over. I don't need to see any more of this. And then I heard about the eating of the brains, which we'll talk about. And I was like, yup, <laughs> first instinct is the right one. Um, Sean, I, I didn't, uh, I hope I didn't cut you off there. Was there anything else? Um, I, that's that's mostly it. I mean, the the only other one that I would throw in there, even though we're obviously not going to be discussing it in detail, is I remember, and I, you have to understand, a lot of times when something is new, it's not unusual at all for me to initially say, that sounds like absolute hot garbage. No way I'm going to inflict that on myself. And then... I'll watch it later, and just, that was absolutely fantastic. I am a fool. <laughs> um, when it came to Hannibal, the series, uh, the short-lived one on NBC, admittedly, I was really not all that down for it, because when they told me, when, when, I, when I learned kind of what the premise of it was, I just kind of thought, what's the point? I read Red Dragon. I've seen one top-notch film rendition of Red Dragon. 
why would I need to watch the same thing retold, retold in a weekly hour-long primetime series? Well, that was before I started dating the lovely Stephanie DeRosa, and she had an Amazon Prime account, and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We were kind of looking for something to watch because I think at the time we were. I believe we were kind of a combination of binging community and the Marvel Netflix series, uh, which at the time consisted of the first season of Daredevil and first season of Jessica Jones. And we were kind of looking for something fresh, and she recommended Hannibal strongly to me. And I thought, uh, okay, you know what? I've been listening to Ben and Robert rave about this show for ages. I've never gotten around to it. I've, I've gotten over my staunch opposition to its existence. Let's go ahead and give this a try. I was absolutely hooked after the first episode. Unfortunately, uh, I also drifted off into watching something else. I think I was re-watching Suits or something like that and just totally forgot to go back and finish it. So I still need to go and watch everything from about the fifth or sixth episode of the first season onward. And uh, much much like uh, two of my other three cohorts, I cannot, absolutely cannot recommend it highly enough. I didn't think it was possible for anybody to do justice to Anthony Anthony Harpkins. Great job, the short have a trophy. Uh, I'm sorry, if you were born after about 1985, you might not get that. Uh, But uh, I didn't think anybody could do Anthony Hopkins justice. Fucking hell, how wrong I was, because Mads Mikkelsen was... Goddamn, nothing short of brilliant. In every episode I've seen, and from every indication that I've been given, he only gets better as it goes as it goes on. I absolutely uh, loved Lawrence Fishburne. He was terrific. It's it's my understanding that the final season even basically is pretty much Red Dragon. Like, like, uh, the last half the is, gist. unequivocally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like the gist of what plays out in the novel. And I can see where this is going to go when I finally get to finish it up. I can tell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up because I'm entering that 
point where I'm starting to ramble a little bit. I can tell that when I finally get around to finishing it, it's going to be like when I watched the third season of Todd McFarlane's Spawn on HBO. And it has this great cliffhanger climax where everything has changed on like a few days' worth of events. And everything has just pivoted into this grand, epic-scale, what had to have been fourth season. And then came first the, the, the lack of understanding of, wait, you mean that's all? And then it was, and then it was sadness, that's all. And then, and then of course, it turned to anger. Fucking hell, HBO, that's all? You ended it on that? <laughs> you ended it on that? That's not closure. It's not. <laughs> and... No, obviously, I'll, I'll never know what would have happened if there had been a next season of Hannibal. For all I know, it. For all I know, it, it might have branched off into Silence of the Lambs territory, territory, and continued to be great. But no, um, don't make my mistake. Uh, if you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, or if you still prize ownership of physical media. Uh, go and stream it, or even better still, pick up the DVD, pick up the Blu-ray, download it from iTunes if you have to, however you have you have to get it. Sit down and watch that, because it's right alongside Constantine in my book among some of the biggest balls NBC has ever dropped on a series. All right. Thank you very much for that, Sean. Um, I may actually sit down one of these days and watch the Hannibal series. Uh, Ben, you are a big fan of this. You submitted us some great artwork. Um, How did you come to Hannibal? Um, My introduction to the series is a little less spectacular, actually. I will say, first of all, by the way, John, uh, one of us, one of us, one of us, one of us. (laughs) Um, True. I'm very happy about that. Um, and yes, you will, when you get to the end of season three of Hannibal, you will have the exact same reaction. I guarantee it. Gotcha. Um, it, it. In the best way, but you know, I, I, you know, I don't think I'm too far out of turn uh, saying, speaking for Robert and saying we're all still in denial about whether or not we're getting a fourth season. Come on, Netflix. Break contra- break the contractual exclusivity that they had with Amazon because uh, NBC like owns part of Amazon. But Amazon wouldn't front for a Prime series. So, Netflix, I'm begging you guys. Just Everyone's willing. <laughs> yeah, but um, as far as as far as me, uh, you know, full Full disclosure, and I've, I've said this uh, previously, uh, Silence of the Lambs is, is my favorite movie of all time as well. Um, I, I got in, you know, kind of late in the game. I actually saw Hannibal first uh, years ago when it first came out, uh, and I liked that movie, but uh, eventually it led me to, you know, seek out the original, and um, a lot like, like Robert was saying, I was just completely, like, you know, like captivated um i was just hanging on anthony hopkins every word and jody foster's every action and uh there's 
the mark of a really good movie uh, to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm a pretty visual guy. So if you are able to see, for me, if I'm able to see something new nearly every time I watch, uh, every time I watch the movie, uh, any movie, any show, anything like that. It's also I'm a, bit, I'm a big Simpsons fan because it's uh, true of that too. Then that's that's my mark of uh, you know quality, uh, visual uh, visual art of any kind, whether it's movies or TV or anything like that. If I if I can spot something new, uh, even if it's just down to like you know a particular facial expression or a particular reaction to something that's said or done. Um, it gives me more and more reason to want to keep going back to it. And I, I get that from, um, from silence of the lambs. Uh, I can usually find something new if I'm really paying attention, which I usually am. I usually have to drop whatever I'm doing. I have movies that I watch while I draw because they're movies that I don't necessarily have to, uh, look at while I'm drawing. Um, usually, the uh, usually like Tarantino movies fall into that category because there are a lot of dialogue that I can listen to easily and still follow the movie. Um, in the case of Silence of the Lambs, I can't as much as close as I am to pretty much having that movie memorized. I usually choose not to uh, do anything else while I'm watching it because I like to kind of linger on, on all the visuals and all the performances. Uh, it's all really just the the best of the best for me and and like Robert was saying it's I really have a hard time finding anything at all to dislike about that movie um Hannibal I uh I don't I have a feeling I may end up liking that movie more than anybody else here uh it's uh it's a far cry from from the original and it's also a far cry from the novel uh, which I also have read um, but I can appreciate at least up until the ending, I can appreciate what was done with it. Um, and I understand why some of the changes were made. Um, and I understand why, you know, the book followed, uh, the course that it did and why the movie followed the course that it did. Um, I guess we'll get into this more when we talk about the other movies, um, Hannibal Rising was a big disappointment for me in a lot of levels. I have not seen all of the movie yet. I will. I have a feeling I'm not going to enjoy it very much. I saw, I've saw. i seen the first 20 minutes, and it just kind of bored me. Um, Red Dragon, I uh, also like the book. The movie is not bad. Uh, that is almost... In my opinion, that is almost exclusively based on the performances given. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a particular bone to pick with Brett Ratner in oh, terms yeah, of this right. mo- in terms of this movie. <laughs> I will go into much more detail about my problems with that when the time comes, but I do not consider anything redeeming about that movie. Uh, a product of the man behind the camera whatsoever. And that I'll kind of leave it at that for now. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you've never listened to this show before, our loose structure is um, what we you know, what we just did, which is how we uh, came to it or decided to talk about it. 
Um, there's usually some level of passion involved or at least curiosity. Uh, the next thing that we like to do is Sean does a lot of research on these things in terms of production notes, fun stories that led to the making of the movie, what could have been that sort of thing. So I'm going to go ahead and pitch it to Sean here, and then we're going to get right into Silence of the Lambs. Go ahead, Sean. Well, you know, the story behind Silence of the Lambs is actually pretty mundane as production goes. I mean, as great movies go, it's pretty often that we watch something that has some wacky stories going on behind the scenes or, oh, it's incredible, this got made at all, or oh, they had to stretch the budget so much because nobody really believed in this little project that could. Well, not really the case with this one. I mean, actually, initially, the idea was that Gene Hackman was going to pair up with Orion Pictures to bring it to the big screen, and they were going to split the $500,000 cost of the rights evenly between them. Um, and in the process of this, this was one of those weird instances in which you could possibly make the movie, but the trouble was you didn't really have the rights to use the character or the character's name. So in order to do that, they actually had to negotiate with Manhunter producer Dino De Laurentiis, who, well, since Manhunter sucked, I mean, it overtly <laughs> tanked, uh, De Laurentiis was willing to just hand over the character rights to Orion for absolutely nothing. Stop and think about that for a second. Think about every character that's owned by 20th Century Fox right now that you're probably never going to get to see in a Marvel movie. Think about how easy this should be, how easy it could be. Hannibal Lecter, just, okay, take it. I mean, chalk that up to the fact that, uh, by the accounts of most people who have ever known him, Dino De Laurentiis was... A combination of severely out of touch and slightly clueless. <laughs> and, and and just a, no, seriously, he is. Like, from some of the stories you hear about him, uh, think about, like, some of the wacky stories you hear about Vince McMahon sometimes, about how uh, when Scott Hall was coming to, was trying to defect to the WWF from WCW, how he sat down with Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe and just busted out this apparently really sick Tony Montana impression. And Vince thought that he was inventing a completely new character because he'd never seen <laughs> Scarface. Or or how... Uh, uh, what's his name? The guy they gave the incest to give it to. Uh, Paul Virgil. Yeah, uh, Virtual pitches him this idea that he's going to be a kind of weird, eccentric pirate wrestler who wears guy liner. And he was trying to pitch it because Pirates of the Caribbean was blowing up huge. And Vince's take was, oh, so he's going to be like Jean-Pierre Lafitte, the failed pirate wrestler. Yeah, that's about how clueless Dino can be sometimes. So, yeah, so he just hands it over, and 
November 87 rolls along. They bring in Ted Talley to write the adaptation, which was good because uh, he had been interested in adapting Silence of the Lambs for a while, had collaborated with uh, Silence of the Lambs author Thomas Harris. Uh, Harris even provided him with an advanced copy of the book. And then about midway through, well... You know, then the holes started to kind of appear. Uh, the few holes that would happen started to kind of appear in the bottom of the boat. Uh, Gene Hackman withdrew, and as a result, financing fell through entirely. By the way, thanks fuck, because Gene Hackman was almost Hannibal Lecter. Go ahead and imagine <laughs> how different that movie would have been. Um uh, However, in the meantime, uh, Orion co-founder Mike Metavoy kind of told Tally to just stay the course, keep writing. Studio would find a way to take care of financing, which if you know anything about Orion, that's never a good thing to be told. Like, ever. Ever, ever. Anytime Orion, anytime Orion would tell would tell you, don't worry, the money's fine, we'll take we'll take care of it. Yeah, that's about when you should start polishing your resume. <laughs> so uh lo and behold though, in this instance, since this was actually before they would redefine bankruptcy in the mid nineties, uh they actually did manage to come through with the money. Uh they managed to pull in Jonathan Demi uh, to direct after he read the novel and absolutely loved it. And it was pretty much just kind of off to the races from there. Uh, there. There really were no major script revisions. There were no interesting controversies that I can reflect on, like uh, David Fincher's story about Fight Club and the I Want... and the... Famous, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school line. Uh, the, the best one, the best ones I can really come up with is we almost didn't get Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling because initially Demi uh, liked Michelle Pfeiffer for the role as she was coming off of working with him on Married to the Mob. However, she got a little bit skittish about the subject matter and backed out, and as it turned out, Jody had much more passion for the character. Uh, in addition to Hackman, there was there were actually three other people who were considered for Hannibal Lecter at one point. Uh, they gave some thought to casting Derek Jacoby. Uh, they considered Daniel motherfucking Day fucking Lewis, which, quite honestly, I want to see that movie. Oh my! <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I want to rip me open a breach to Earth Two, and I want to go watch the version where that happened. I want to see that. And uh, actually, but the one that Demi originally approached, Sean Connery. Well, after Brian Cox from Manhunter, he wanted to keep it Scottish, I guess. Well, and. and Connery turned it down. Um, uh, no telling. I couldn't find anything on what on whether he said that he couldn't understand the script. 
Um, <laughs> but I don't get it. What? what um, I'm in prison this whole time. My bad, John Connery impression. Please, enough, enough, gone. <laughs> Not worth repeating. Anyway, um, funny little story about Scott Glenn after he was cast as Jack Crawford, uh, the FBI Behavioral Science Unit agent in charge. Um, to prep for the role, he met several times with John E. Douglas to really get into the culture of the FBI and federal law enforcement. And it also helped that Douglas was actually Harris's model for the character. And after he treated Glenn to a tour of the famed FBI Quantico training facility, uh, Glenn was was basically damn near out and out traumatized by the fact that Douglas played a set of recordings of serial killers Lawrence Bittaker and Ray, and Roy Norris, specifically homemade recordings of the two of them torturing and raping a 16-year-old girl. Uh, This brought Glenn to tears and supposedly caused him to reverse what was then a very liberal stance that he held toward the death penalty. There, There really isn't much to the filming. There's really not, there's really not a whole lot of interesting notes about the score or anything when it comes to silence. I mean, I guess I'll uh, I'll tell some more stories about Hannibal when we get around to talking about that because oh man, uh, was that a tr- that was a bit of a troubled production behind the scenes and that was one where had some things not gone differently, that one might have very well not happened. Uh, I will note that. Silence was a little bit controversial among the LGBT community when it was first released, uh, mostly for the mostly for uh, the portrayal of Buffalo Bill as bisexual and transsexual, uh, to which Demi answered them, and I quote: "Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club." Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He wasn't a gay character. He was a tormented man who hated himself and wished he was a woman because that would have made him as far away from himself as he could possibly be. And, however, as Denny would also later admit, quote, he came to realize there's a tremendous absence of positive gay characters. 
So, uh, and you know, as another result, uh, the the feminist icon Betty Friedan expressed a total outrage that Silence of the Lambs kind of brought home the Grand Slam of major Oscars. Uh, and well, mostly because it was it, a, a big plot point was butchered, evis, eviscerated, turned into clo- turned into clothing, what have you. To which I would reply: Number one, it's not like the movie was saying these were good things to do. <laughs> And number two, Betty, has anybody ever explained serial killer to you? Because these are things that kill that serial killers do. And yes, some of them do target women. So I tend to kind of classify that in about the in roughly the same vein as people who claim, who complain that uh, Game of Thrones contains uh, a plethora a, a plethora of rape scenes. Look when it's supposed to be set. That was a thing back then. You know, to not include it would be to would be to kind of lie lie both to yourself and everybody else and say, oh, that really didn't happen. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it did. Um, Go ask anybody with a particular affinity for uh, for Ted Bundy how Ted treated women. Or um, totally drawing a blank here. Um, I almost said John Wayne Gacy. Um, Tell me out, guys. Uh, No, not, not... not Dahmer, um, the serial killer that um, Texas Chainsaw. Ed Gein. Ed Gein, thank you, thank you. I, I knew it was like a, like a two syllable name. I just couldn't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, um, go uh, go look up his resume. This is shit that happened, but it's not the hero who's doing it. It's the guy they're trying to stop. Um, but anyway, before I let that go any further into any other outrage, uh, no, that's basically the story of, si- of Silence of the Lambs. The rest of it is pretty much just one huge success after another. Uh, it's one of AFI's, it made, I believe, ranked rather highly actually on AFI's uh, 100 Years, 100 Movies. Um, against a $19 million budget, it grossed. Two hundred seventy-two point seven million worldwide, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, correction, not uh, it won it won Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, and yeah, although I don't consider it a horror movie, uh, although I'm picking it nits. Um, most people consider it the first and only horror film to ever win Best Picture. So, you know, take that however take that however you will. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
that's the backstory of Hannibal. So, Mark, take it away and start taking us through the plot. All right. I um, actually have a question um, for Robert or Ben, whoever wants to jump in and answer this. And then I'm going to let Robert do the plot summary. Um, and the answer, don't, don't be afraid to tell me, wait till you see the movie, if that's the answer. But it was just something that occurred to me. And, you know, I... People know if you listen to the show or if you've heard me on other podcasts, know that my in my profession, um, I work in mental health. And the first thing I thought of, you know, many, many years later after watching this movie and being educated on the subject was, what in the hell is an actual diagnosis? Because they, they refer to him as a sociopath. Um, they, you know, they say, oh, this, but he's not schizophrenic that I could pick up. There was there definitely be some degree of personality disorder. Um, and, it, and it's very focused on him being a cannibal. But cannibal is not a diagnosis. Um, no. You know, it's, a, it's unfortunate, but it's not a diagnosis that I know of. Um, and so I'm just curious, was it ever talked about in any of the books or the movies? One, what the diagnosis is. Two, is he the way he is now as presented in Silence of the Lambs because he snapped for some odd reason? Or I, I just, I'm curious about how he got to be that way without necessarily going through, you know, the bits and pieces of his origin. I'm like, how, how do you go from brilliant psychiatrist to cannibal, or was that always there? Robert, you want to you wanna field it, or may I? Uh, no, go ahead. I'm going to talk plenty in a little bit. Sure. Um, actually, it's – and I don't know how uh, – I don't know how true this is to actual mental health diagnosis. This may be or may have been at the time that the book was written. I, I don't remember exactly when the book was, was written. I know it was you know, sometime in the earlier mid-80s, I believe. But a lot is made of the fact that um, Hannibal Lecter in particular really kind of defies any kind of conventional psychological diagnosis. And... They say as much a couple of times in a couple of a couple of the different movies. Actually, in, in um, one of the few things I actually remember about the the book Hannibal Rising, where somebody just uh, and I can't even remember who was it uh, offhandedly remarks, you know, um, just that there's there's something uh, you know. Uh, I've never seen or, uh, anyone or anything quite like him, and I don't know what exactly to call him. But for the purposes, you know, for the sake of argument, I'll call—I'll just call him a monster. Um, that's kind of, you know, the the closest anybody can get to sort of classifying what Hannibal Lecter is in any of the books or movies is is uh, psychopathic, which is probably not entirely accurate but he defies so many conventional you know uh categorizations of what you know of different mental health types that you know nobody can seem to figure him out or read him and uh anybody who attempts to analyze him either gets insulted ignored or eaten so uh <laughs> so that would probably make a mental health eval to be uh, quite difficult yeah. So, and and uh, you know, this goes into uh, another character in the in the book and movie, uh, Doctor Chilton, who uh, Lecter in, in both <laughs> books and movies has nothing but contempt for. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, we all know why we're laughing. Um, but you know, he. 
that children in the in the movie and in, in the book seems to think so uh, so sh- that he so surely has Lecter's number and that he knows uh, you know what he's about, or he can at least convince everybody that he thinks he knows what Lecter's about, uh, and they both know that's not the case, and um, they go into more detail about that in the book uh, as far as. Um, Supposed, uh, there's there's a there's an anecdote in the book where, and and I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, where Chilton tries to analyze him and tries to do all these different kinds of uh, you know uh, uh, electrotherapy uh, uh, you know procedures and tries to and analyze his his reactions to it. And what he doesn't realize is that while he's doing that, Lecter is actually analyzing Chilton's reactions and making a mental note of him. And he actually manages to, you know, covertly have them published and makes him a laughing stock. Uh, he, <laughs> oh, that was so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's a lot made of, and, and I've discussed it the last time Robert and I talked about Silence of the Lambs, they, uh, they mentioned, um, I mentioned my favorite line in the entire movie, in the entire series, where uh, somebody asked Jody Foster later on, uh, you know, I hear, you know, I heard he's, he's like some kind of vampire, and she just turns to the guy and says, they don't have a name for what he is. <laughs> okay, well, I will, uh, I will stop myself from trying to diagnose the guy for the sake of this podcast. But I, I definitely have put an unusual amount of thought into this and, you know, I'm trying to diagnose a fictional character. Um, just, just for, for You're not alone in that aspect, Mark. Uh, I, I believe there are papers written about really Lecter as a character. Oh, well, that's well, the thing that, me. Go ahead. The thing about Lecter is, as Benjamin mentioned, he's, he, he's, his classification is difficult to pin down, not only because what he does and not just the cannibalism, but how he is, is so beyond the general scope. And then you factor in his intellect and if the, the process of analyzing him becomes impossible because you can never be sure you're getting anything even remotely authentic. And not even in the binary sense of truth or lies. He, he will blend the two of them together when you're trying to analyze him to the point where you, you don't know whether you're coming or going by the end of it. <laughs> uh, and well, I will specifically much- say uh, he is in the book. He is presented as a pure sociopath, uh, which is slightly more accurate, at least as far as various portrayals of him go. Uh, specifically, Mads Mikkelsen's from Hannibal. I get a much more sociopathic vibe from him there in that than I do from Hopkins' version. Uh, but again, a lo- this was written in the '80s. Uh, a lot of the understanding and terminology has shifted. Yeah, it has. Uh, I keep wondering. In Hannibal, in Hannibal Rising, they get into some specific instances which contribute, but as with you know all you know, serial killers, there's a degree that is environmental. There's a degree that's biological. Sure. Right. All right. The, um, uh, I will uh, the, the, abandon this the, now, the one, but we got to get back to the subject at one point, either on the show or offline, because oh, I'm really fascinated <laughs> by. It by the sort of secondary and tertiary material written on his fictional diagnosis. All right, go ahead. I see, I was, I was, go ahead. Sorry. I, 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 was, I, was, I was going to correct you on just one small thing. And in a way, in a weird sense, this kind of, to me, makes Lecter all the more terrifying. And it goes back to something you said. And the thing is, Mark, he didn't go from, uh, from a brilliant, uh, 
psychiatrist to being a cannibal or and to being a hom- to being a killer. He was a killer well before he became a licensed a licensed psychiatrist. Oh, um, uh, yeah, like yeah, like I said, yeah, you have to think about that. You have to think about somebody with with that kind of mind, that kind of intellect, and that kind of cold killer instinct, and then putting himself in a position where he got where he would get to you know reach right inside the depths of pe- of individual psyches and play on their every insecurity their their every fear their every chink in their me- in their mental armor god damn that's not terrifying oh it's grooming um, it's the sort of thing that happens with uh of victims of molestation you know, usually we're talking about child molestation um, it, it sounds like he was putting himself in a position to find victims, and the, the, from what you're telling me, well, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's exactly. He, he, he's not a he's not a doctor who became a killer. He's a killer who became a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> that is terrifying. That, that's hor- that is horrifying. It's very much, very much a predator in like yeah. probably the most literal sense of the word that you can uh pin on on an, you know somebody who's ostensibly a human being his behavior uh, is very very uh base and animalistic and predatory let's uh let's table this discussion for now but it's something i, I maybe might want to come back to a little bit later um go ahead with the plot synopsis for silence of the lambs one three all right oh before i do that there, I, this is the only area I think I can probably express this weird bit of headcanon that I have regarding Hannibal Lecter. Now, feel free to laugh. I understand this is absolutely ludicrous, but in my own mind, I have this weird little... Again, it's headcanon. It's something I made up. That young Wilson Fisk, after violently murdering his father and dismembering him to get away with it, it's mentioned that he leaves New York for a time, and I can't help but wonder if, you know, his family wasn't well off. Maybe Baltimore was as far as they could go, and the mother, in a shocking display of motherly affection, thought that her poor son might need some therapy after, again, violently murdering his father with a claw hammer and then cutting up the body to get away with the murder. And he just winds up getting help from specifically Mads Mikkelsen's version of Hannibal. I have this really clear picture in my head of that poor kid laying on a couch talking with you know, Mads Mikkelsen, whose version of Lecter is based less on Anthony Hopkins and more on his interpretation of Lucifer. And if, and if Netflix picks up the rights, we may still see that. Well, hang on. Because now, for anyone listening at Disney and Marvel, Daredevil versus Hannibal. Get it going. Put that in the theaters. Work on it. All right. Hey, look, I'm happy because I get Hannibal interacting with Sherlock Holmes next month. That's all I want out of life. Right. Yeah. Apparently the reviews on that are very, very good. All right. Hit it. All right. Uh, The plot synopsis for Silence of the Lambs, in plot structure, it doesn't sound all that great. And when we get into the specifics of it, that's where a lot of the genius of this movie is. Uh, we primarily follow FBI agent in training Clarice Starling, who is a student going through 
the FBI Academy. She's expressed an interest in behavioral sciences, which was still a very emerging field at the time, and you know, the 80s into the early 90s. Uh, there's a, there's a, a serial killer on the loose, as there always is, but this one is particularly nasty. They, he's nicknamed Buffalo Bill in the press because he skins his victims. Uh, we don't know why initially. We find out later that he's uh, abducting women, starving them, killing them, and then skinning them to make himself a woman suit. Uh, it's it made clear that he's not actually transsexual in, in the book and movie as well, but that is kind of his goal. And you know, the psychology of Jamie Gunn, the, the guy uh, Buffalo Bill, is interesting in and of itself. In order to try and kind of get a handle on this guy, because he is criminally sophisticated enough to not leave forensic evidence, uh, they have her surreptitiously reach out to psychiatrist uh, and serial killer Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Uh, What emerges from that and the best parts of this movie, almost bar none, are the interactions between Hannibal and Clarice. He agrees to help them kind of find Buffalo Bill in large part because he's bored, uh, which you can't blame him for, the, you know, given where he is. Uh, so he helps, he goes to help them with that. Uh, but during the course of that investigation, uh, Buffalo Bill abducts the daughter of one of the senators from Tennessee, I believe the junior senator, bringing more national scrutiny to you know, what was already going on. They're applying more pressure to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They wind up lying to Lecter about a theoretical offer to make his life better. Lecter is able to exploit uh, that and the ego and ambition of his current keeper, Dr. Frederick Chilton, uh, into eventually escaping in a my probably my favorite part of the whole movie is Lecter's escape. Uh, it's tremendous. Uh, anyway, he escapes, but utilizing some of the insight that was gleaned because of him, Starling is able to figure out who Buffalo Bill really is. She accidentally arrives at his location. Uh, she's not supposed to be finding him. She's supposed to just be uh, gathering base evidence. Instead, she accidentally stumbles on him onto Buffalo Bill. There's a really nice confrontation scene. She kills him. Uh, The senator's daughter is saved in time. Clarice graduates. Hannibal Lecter is out in the world. And the movie ends with him promising to exact to both leave Clarice alone because the world's more interesting with her in it and on the path of exacting terrifying revenge on Dr. Chilton. Uh, Anything plot wise that I missed there, guys, that you wanted to touch on? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. Children, right, may have had it. Children may have had it coming just purely for the suit he was wearing when he got off that plane at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't disagree with that too much. Um, all right, Rob, I'm gonna the film here. All right, uh, again, uh, much like Benjamin, this is probably my favorite movie of all time. Anytime someone, anytime I bring up that you know, no, I review movies on an amateur basis on a podcast, one of the inevitable follow-up questions is, oh, what's your favorite movie? 
And, you know, occasionally I'll have a, you know, my favorite movie tends to fluctuate a little bit, uh, depending on my mood, what I've seen recently, you know, if something else has you know, really struck my interest. Uh, but gun to my head, it's this one. You, you tell me I can only watch one movie for the rest of my life. It's Silence of the Lambs. I have zero negative things to say about this movie. The acting is universally awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the two guys who don't get enough credit in this movie, I think, are Scott Glenn, who plays a very straight-laced character in uh, FBI. Uh, not the director Jack of the Crawford. FBI, but, the, but yeah, he plays Jack Crawford. Agent in charge of uh, behavioral sciences. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Uh, and Ted Levine somehow gets overlooked for his turn as Buffalo Bill. Which kind of surprises me in, a, in one way because the first time I saw this movie, much as Hannibal scared me as a character, something about what Ted Levine tapped into as Buffalo Bill is, to me, much more terrifying. Because he's, uh, I have no problem envisioning him in the world. I mean, Hannibal is a, a fascinating character. And Anthony Hopkins, his portrayal of him is utterly superb in this movie. But he still feels uh, not 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 fictional in that way, in the sense that he you know, is a real character. But I know that people like Buffalo Bill exist, have existed, will exist, and mm-hmm. that that actually gets my skin crawling a little bit more than you know. Hannibal Lecter eating people, which I find just, you know, I mean, a fully processed human cadaver has something like 85,000 calories in it. And I know that the thought is somewhat grotesque, but, you know, you can live on that month to month. (laughs) Um, Real briefly, uh, I find Anthony Hopkins portrayal in this uh, utterly fascinating listening to him talk about it from time to time and you know, don't ask him too often about Hannibal Lecter because just if you ever meet, happen to meet him, I imagine he's been asked about this role to the point where he's just sick of it. So I wouldn't bring it up if you happen to run into him on the street. But one of the things that he brought up uh, that I, I recall very specifically listening to him talk about was in part of his preparation he did a lot of visual studying of big cats, uh, you know, lions, tigers, you know, pred- large predatory cats. And his utter stillness as a 
character was derived from that because if you watch them right before they pounce, they don't move at all. I mean, I think I can count on both hands the number of times you actually see the character of Hannibal Lecter blink in this movie. Hmm. It's, it's extremely unnerving. The technique they used in the asylum, and I don't know how exactly they accomplished this uh, from a cinematography standpoint, but anytime you are looking at Hannibal from Clarice's point of view, there is no reflection in the glass. Uh, when you look, when you're looking out from Hannibal's perspective, there is frequently uh, you know, a reflection, a glare, you know, something to let you know you're inside. When you're on the other side of it, when you're out in the hallway, visually, there is absolutely nothing between you and Hannibal Lecter. And it's a a really great trick that they use to further unnerve the audience. Uh, it's it's just uh, you know Jodie Foster deserves all the accolades she gets from this movie. It's her acting job is tremendous, especially when you consider that the bulk of the movie rests on her shoulders. And uh, you know, again, I have nothing bad to say about it. The last thing I want to mention, because I don't think it gets enough credit, Howard Shore's score. I'm not the biggest fan of Howard Shore's work in general. I mean, he's, you know, there are certainly worse guys to do your, uh, soundtrack than Howard Shore, but he's not one of my you know top four or five composers who I actively listen for whenever I watch a movie. But he absolutely excels in this uh, in in this instance. The music is treme- is a tremendous counterpoint to the action on screen. I again, I have nothing bad to say about this movie at all under virtually any any context whatsoever. Let me uh, throw this out there. I want to get Ben's uh, response to it. And Sean, watching it um, with no passion one way or the other for it, just sort of um, watching it as a reviewer, it works. It works really, really well. But the structure of the movie is such that it shouldn't have worked. Uh, that was kind of my takeaway from it because I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, here's how I figure, and and again, this is this is up for debate. But the you're you're sort of posited with this whodunit uh, in terms of uh, they're going after Buffalo Bill, the FBI is, and if you'll if you remember what they what they established at the beginning is they've with, they were going to a variety of, of uh, killers and, um, and having them uh, fill out this instrument so that they could build a, uh, well, what was the word they used, Robert? I believe they were looking for comprehensive profiles or just to flush out, flesh out the, you know, the information they had on them. Profile was the word I was looking for. So they were looking to build a profile and so they wanted to talk to different people and everyone had participated uh, except for Lecter. And so she was sort of sent in there um, as a last ditch effort to try to get him to participate. Uh, but, the, but the main thrust of this is that they're supposed to go after this guy and the movie, when I talk about structure is instead of that, 
which if you don't know anything about anything else about this movie and you go in and that's the first thing that they talk about, you would not expect so much of the movie to center on someone who is in theory just supposed to do a profile. Um, you know, essentially if you're, if you're thinking about like a detective talking to witnesses, expert witnesses, what, what have you, um, the, a show or a movie doesn't suddenly focus on that particular interviewee. You know, it's about the hunt. And a, at least a good third of this movie is just focused on Hannibal. His, his issues, his escape, his, you know, uh, how his mind works, what he's doing to Clarice, and it's almost a distraction from what I would perceive as to be you know, the main plot of this movie. That's what I mean by structurally, it's, it's really odd to me, but it still works, it's still fascinating. And, and I would say one of the reasons is the performance. Um, but also I think you know, in, in terms of direction and how long they stay with each one of these plot elements, it's well balanced. They don't stay too long with Hannibal before going back to Buffalo. There's always a reminder that he's there um, and that ultimately that's the goal, get to him. Um, but I think in other people's hands, uh, you know, tweak slightly different ways, the whole thing may have, you know, may have come apart. That's, that's just my impression of it. I'm not, there's no way a, a, a bad comment about the film. I'm just amazed at the complexity of it and how able to, and how nuanced this thing was and how they were able to sort of weave this all together and not lose sight of the main elements of the movie. Ben, you want to jump in here real quick? Um, yeah, sure. Um, two things. Uh, number one, um, I actually think it's a, it's a, it's a really well done bit of misdirection, uh, intentional misdirection, what you're talking about where, uh, you think the movie is going, if you know absolutely nothing about this movie, you go in and even, uh, the, the initial first couple of minutes, you really don't know, uh, how, how certain characters factor into, including Hannibal Lecter, how they factor into the main story, because you're presented with this thing where, uh, you know, uh, Clarice Starling is, is, chosen to go in and try to get Lecter to fill out this, this whole psychological profile. But that's, you find out pretty quickly that that's actually like a complete, uh, a complete ruse. And what uh, Jack Crawford is actually trying to do is um, either he suspects that Lecter has some intimate knowledge about who Buffalo Bill is or what he's about or at least, uh, or at least he can provide some kind of expert analysis that nobody else can. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, Lecter's a psychopathic killer, but he is at the same time still a brilliant psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, that's one thing. The other thing about that is, um, it's also kind of a testament to. Uh, it's kind of a testament, one, to the storytelling and two, to the performances of the movie, which, once again, much like, you know, much like Robert, I have virtually nothing bad to say about any of, any of it, that uh, Anthony Hopkins is on screen 
for a grand total of about 16 minutes, maybe 16 minutes and a couple of seconds. And yet the specter of Hannibal Lecter's character hangs over the entire movie from the moment he's, his name is mentioned. Uh, at all times, he is influencing the plot. He is influencing the characters. He is influencing the reactions of all of the all of the characters to what happens in regards to him and in regards to everything that's going on around him. Um, it's really kind of masterful storytelling. Um, and like I said, the performances sell it. Jodie Foster sells the hell out of it. Um, I, I am also in agreement that <clears throat> that this movie does not work without Jodie Foster. Um, it doesn't really work without anybody in the roles that they're in, but in particular, uh, she kind of worked a miracle, uh, and it was probably more thankless than it should have been uh, the the kinds of things that she was able to do in her performance that propelled the plot forward and also complimented everybody that she shared the screen with. Um, it all just kind of came together. It was one of those things where like just lightning hit in exactly the right place for everybody. Um, Sean, your, your gut, your sort of knee jerk reaction to my thing was how do you figure? So what was some of your thoughts here? Um, did I, did, did I convey myself appropriately to you, or do you still have questions about that or thoughts? Did we lose Sean? Uh, I still show him in the switchboard. Uh, I, got, I, I got it. I got it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah, for God's sake, knowing blog talk, don't fuck with the settings. God knows what will happen. Um <laughs> You, you, you'll, prob- you'll probably find the fucking blog talk radio improbability drive. Um, uh, but anyway, as I was saying, really, the only the only way the structure of the movie doesn't work is if you're expecting it to be something that it never intended to be. And that is, is that number one, it's not a pure whodunit. Um... It isn't because, and this is this is something that once upon a time, um, my ex from many moons ago, um, Alexis and I, we kind of butted heads over our opinion of Law and Order: Criminal Intent for the same reason. She hated watching it because, as she put it, well, from the start you already know who did it, so what's the point? Well. The point is that there's not supposed to be any mystery as to who did it. The point is it's supposed to be the element of the cat and mouse game. The element of um our, our Gorham and Eames going to catch up to the going to catch up to the killer before they do they do it again or before they can get away. Newsflash, damn near every time Vincent D'Onofrio gets them. Surprise. Um, Network television, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, right. Um, so the the way you have to look at it is in terms of the fact that, yeah, the the whole point of the movie is indeed supposed to be the battle of wits between Lecter and Starling, but 
and yeah, you, you're introduced pretty quickly to the fact that okay, this is Buffalo Bill, this is who he, this is who he is. This is all going on while this is going on between Clarice and Lecter. And the thing is, is you also have kind of the elements of that chase that also helps to kind of define and flesh out and evolve the relationship between them because it brings out kind of unexpected sides of both of them that I think neither of them expected to really emerge. Uh, throughout the movie, one of the things that gets really downplayed in the movie that's played up much more in the books is the fact that Lecter really pries in to Clarice's past. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it because, for fuck's sake, get out there and see it. And while you're at it, read the goddamn book. Um, But it's really pretty masterfully done in terms of how it manages to both define Clarice without being an exposition dump and at the same time in the way the dialogue plays out and the character interactions, it also serves to deepen and tighten the tension between Hannibal and Clarice. So in a way... The hunt for Jamie kind of becomes, man, I don't want to call it a MacGuffin run, um, but that's really, but it really feels almost like that's what it is at, at times. Is it's it's the vehicle by which they they interact and kind of come and kind of come away changed by it. So, I mean, it's something that manages to play out brilliantly, despite as as Ben pointed out. Um, Anthony Hopkins having a grand total of about 16 minutes of screen time. But the other aspect of it is 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 traits of both characters that really don't quite get recognized enough. And that is, on Clarice's side, what you have is you do not have a bumbling, naive idiot heroine. You don't have a woman who just stumbles in into this and just fumbles about blindly. The fact is, as much to Lecter's surprise, she turns out to be very much a match for him. In terms of in terms of intellect, in terms of in terms of will. I mean Lecter has still got the upper hand, obviously, but She's able to connect with him in part because she lacks that that mistakenly self-assured arrogance of Chilton and the other and the other psychologists who have who have tried to uh, to try to kind of quantify. But on Lecter's side, then there's this kind of other character, and. Really, if anybody, if I have to liken him to anybody else that I've seen in any other movie, he'd be like Jigsaw from the Saw series. Uh, Of course, mind you, I'm talking about from the first three movies when when he's really fully realized and not being shown in the flashbacks and his 
in his formative stages when he was much sloppier and much more emotional. And that's the fact that Lecter, he's, you know, he's, He's he, he's like Bracken. He's no mad dog killer. Uh, they note a few times throughout the movie that usually when he's committing most of these terribly heinous acts, I think it's like his pulse never climbs a, never climbs above. I think it's like something like thirty forty beats per minute. The, the the entire the entire time, even when he's tearing flesh with his teeth. I but, believe it was 85 beats per minute for the assault on the nurse. And in the book, they actually talk about how his heart rate barely got above 100 during his entire escape because he was just unused to that much physical activity in a short space of time. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what, exactly what it was, but I knew it was something that was absurdly low for the circumstances. But it's also in the fact that well, number one, he, he's exceptionally civilized. I mean, you, you, you talked before about how uh, uh, a fully a fully dissected human cadaver contains something like 85,000 85, calories. Well, that may be true, except for the except there's one thing that doesn't get taken into consideration, and that's the fact that Lecter isn't just eating any part of the body willy nilly. You know, it's it's not like he's he's getting out his cast iron his cast iron skillet and some some exotic gourmet butters and saying to himself, going to himself, hmm, I'm gonna have sautéed cock for dinner tonight. <laughs> no, uh, he's he's so well schooled that he's able to kind of match parts of the human body up. To what their culinary equivalent would be from from any other traditionally eaten animal, um, and it kind of dine both both in peace, but in a very ref, in a very refined fashion, um, like, like he was cooking anything else, like, like like he was cooking pork or or beef or chicken or quail egg. You're in for some really fun times when you get further into the television series. I'll just say that. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. That show is too porn, man. That show made me hungry. Just (laughs) not not in a disgusting way, but just. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
the visuals and the way Hannibal talks about food in that yeah. series. Like I, I would always watch it and go, man, I wish I had something more than ramen noodles in my cupboard. Yeah, not not in an, I'm not in an I'm thinking Arby's kind of sense. Yeah, it's the same. Um. It's, it's the same way. Like, like if you if you remember if you remember the scene with the with the hamburgers in Pulp Fiction. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I always want a hamburger after that scene. Yeah. Like, sometimes yes. you just film. Sometimes you can just film food to look just like the, the most delicious thing you've ever seen in your life. I always want a goddamn double double after I watch that scene. Um, but. Uh, but the part that I actually like about Hannibal the most is despite the fact that he's doing unspeakably horrible, monstrous things, is one of the reasons he feels so fine about it, and this goes back to elements of his backstory that are alluded to in the novel Hannibal and that Mark, I can tell you, will be fleshed out in much more detail when you get to Hannibal Rising is the fact that he feels like with the people he targets, because mind you, he's not going after just anybody. It's not even necessarily aesthetics that makes him target someone. It's the fact that he goes after people that he feels like by eliminating them from the world, he's doing the world a favor. It's the fact that when he, um, okay, I, I had to come up with another example because I almost spoiled part of Red Dragon for you right there. Um, what The reason why he targets Mason Verger in the first place is because he's a wealthy pedophile. Uh, he goes after people that he feels, and not just are serving no, are serving no purpose. You know, it's not necessarily just that they're lazy or anything, simply making others' lives more miserable more miserable or will or are just not con- he feels are not contributing anything meaningful to the civilized world um, there's definitely a method to it and then you contrast that against the fact that in death he's making them a part of such of such kind of uh uh civilized habits and rituals as, as fine dining, uh, the, the manners and, cur- and courtesies and etiquette of entertaining dinner, of entertaining dinner guests and serving them uh, a fine meal and being an accommodating host. It's, that's, that's, that's the part about it is just the fact that some of these people, you got to think that at some point he's off somebody who just never realized they got on his bad side or why. Yeah. The, uh, the one from, and I don't know if you would consider this a spoiler for red dragon, uh, but it's made, and I, I don't consider it as it's mentioned and resolved within the first three minutes of the movie, the flautist, yeah, he kills one of the yeah. flautists from the Baltimore Orchestra because Baltimore. he doesn't like the way the man plays. Yeah, and serves them to the Baltimore Symphony Board. <laughs> he, yeah, he he felt that he was doing the doing the symphony a kindness by improving their overall sound by serving, by by not only killing him but making sure that he didn't go to waste. He served he served the, he served up for dinner. 
Um, and so when you take all of that into account and you kind of think about Clarice and her character and her interactions, it makes it even easier to see why even in the name of his own self-preservation, Hannibal can't bring himself to take her out of the world. Because number one, again, like he said, in the world's more interesting because she's proven that she's a match. She's a match for him, maybe not in terms of pure intellect, but in terms of both will and the fact that she has the humility, I think, to not hold herself up as being so much better than him or having it or having his number. She's got a fearful respect for him. But also the fact that he doesn't consider her to necessarily be uncivilized, rude, mean-spirited, necessarily a detriment to anyone. It all just kind of e- just kind of evens out. Um it's and and I and I, I think that is kind of the my ultimate takeaway from the resolution of it. It is not the fact that Clarice uh, stopped Jamie Gum. Although I like to think that Hannibal contributed to that in part because of everything that I just that I just ran down, almost as a token of respect. But it's more so the real resolution of it, the real climax, and why I feel like the movie ends exactly where it needed to was just with that one phone call and that one conversation where he just lays it right out. And then you see that juxtaposed against the fact that now that he's out and now that he's roaming free again, he's going to continue doing what he's doing. And that's basically in his mind, do the world a favor by ridding it of Dr. Frederick Chilton. So anyway, um, I'm sorry that that rambled like hell, but uh, I don't worry about I, it. I bet, yeah, I, I'd been kind of holding it in since this afternoon when I was real when I was really thinking about it, and yeah. So well, I mean, it was, it was, it was, no, it was perfectly interesting stuff that you brought up, um, and that's what we're here for. We're here to do, you know discuss, debate, and and, and be civilized uh, <laughs> while we're doing so. Um, I have I have no human cadaver here. I've, I've, I've had my calories for the day, actually. Um, ben, I'm going to let you, uh, unless Robert is going to jump up and down and stomp and say, but I had more. I'll let you have the last word on this. Because um, I know you said it's one of your favorite movies. Um, is there anything left unsaid? Because, I mean, when, when we're talking about a, a movie where like, you know, it's, it's relatively perfect and not a whole lot there is to say, I don't want to drag this out any further. I'd like to get to Hannibal so we can tear that piece of shit apart. Oh boy. Um I'm sure there's more to be said, but uh damned if I can figure out a way to, you know, say it uh, in a succinct manner at this point. Um <laughs> anybody that's anybody that's listening to this that has not seen this movie, do yourself a favor, please see it. It is it is a masterpiece. Uh in more ways than one, it is a masterpiece of storytelling, it's a masterpiece of visual style, it's a masterpiece of acting, writing, anything you care to name. Um, this is 
probably the only thing. Well, maybe because uh, Jonathan Demi also made Philadelphia, which was also very good. Uh, that was actually the movie he made immediately after this one. Um, I can't believe I've never seen that. Yeah, in no really? small part because of the concerns raised yeah. by the you know, LGBT community in the wake of this. You know, and there being a lack of positive gay characters in cinema, he followed up by making Philadelphia. <laughs> right. Which is an excellent movie, by the way. It's, right. It's, it's definitely in my, my top 50. And uh, it's 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 kind of funny. Uh, aside from maybe those two movies, I'm not uh, I'm not a big follower of Jonathan Demme's work, but he, uh, yeah, I mean, he just he made he made a masterpiece with this one. And uh, as we'll talk about uh, later on, uh, he gave it a visual style that is often uh, duplicated or often imitated, but I don't think ever really fully uh, duplicate, duplicated in uh, in any worthwhile way. Um, so it's just, uh, just amazing from beginning to end. Okay. Um, you know me, I always like to make sure everyone has their say and gets their burning desires in. So um, if that's it and everyone's willing to move on with this, then let's, let's head on over to Hannibal. Uh, ten years later, again, Julian Moore takes over the role uh, of uh, Clarice, portrayed by Jodie Foster. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pitch to Robert here and let him do the plot synopsis. Uh, two things. One, <laughs> I, I was, my wife was asking me uh, what I was watching, and, and she walked in the room, and I was like, oh, I'm watching Hannibal. And she was like, goodbye, and walked right out again. <laughs> Um, not her cup of tea. We were talking later, though, and uh, she was like, yeah, I've never actually seen Silence of the Lambs. And I thought my wife is a huge movie person where I was like, oh, my God, you've never seen? No, I was not surprised in the least. But what she said, why she never saw it, I was, like, a little flummoxed by, I guess. Because she goes, yeah, my, I, I was a little kid when my parents saw it, and all I remember is my mother running up and down the hallway freaking out about the movie. I don't understand what there is to freak out about. I think it's an amazing nah, movie. Me neither. There's some intensity in the dialogue, but if you're that freaked out by people talking intensely, take a Xanax. My goodness. <laughs> Fuck's sake, said, yeah. Fuck's sake, never watch 24. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, look, I have Howard delivers every line. He just got done running a 10K. <laughs> Damn it. Your um, and I would run yellow with with this, you know, she's not. I mean, she. If you think I'm squeamish, she 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 makes me look like an absolute gorehound. And I said, look, there's nothing that really gory in the movie. One or two parts where you know, if, if you're if you're not into it, you might want to avert your eyes. But for the most part, it's fucking people talking. Yeah. And silence falls into the same category that I tend to place the original Saw movie in. It gets this terrible reputation because they talk about horrible things. They talk yeah, about yeah. You know, violence and things like that. Uh, it got brought up with silence. The amount of on-screen violence in the traditional sense of the word is extraordinarily small. Yeah. Uh, you have, and can, and can mm-hmm. find to pretty much one scene. Yeah, when when did you get anything? That's as bad as it gets. And uh, it, it, again, the original, the first Saw movie is in kind of that same way. Everyone thought, 
oh no, it's you know, it, it's nothing but torture porn. No, it's really not. No, it gets there, but it just, it, the way people talked about it and the way people talk about silence as though it's uh, it, again, it's like very it intense. I don't, you, I don't like, recommend like showing it to children. Anthony Hopkins' Pac-Man is running around biting people, and there's Monty Python as blood flowing everywhere. Yeah, no, a lot of its reputation in that sense is ill-deserved. Again, much like the original Saw movie, which takes a lot of of its storytelling cues in some way from this movie. Now, Hannibal, on the other hand... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that brings us again. All right, Robert, take it away. Let's go, go, go plot All right. As it comes to Hannibal, as Mark said, this movie was made 10 years after the fact. It's set 10 years after the fact. Um, we discover that Clarice Starling has kind of stalled out in the FBI. She's working uh, – in the book, it goes into much more detail about what her actual position is at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's just been too long since I've read the book, so I apologize for that. There are things about it that I remember, some of it that I don't. That's the impression she's working narcotics. Uh, it's more like fugitive recovery, okay. warrant serving, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she then is involved in an attempted arrest that goes horribly wrong and generates a pretty big uh, public fiasco. Uh, in an effort to both downplay her current status and give her a chance to regain some of her career luster, they decide to retask her with finding Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter is living in Florence, where you imagine Hannibal Lecter would go. Uh, he has assumed the identity of Dr. Fell, is attempting to find a permanent position as a curator of one of the muse- one of the very prestigious museums in that city. And just kind of living life as you, again, as you kind of expect he would, all things considered. The big monkey wrench into all of this is Mason Verger, uh, who is one of Hannibal's victims, the only one to survive, was left without a face and a quadriplegic. And he he was a billionaire, uh, high millions beforehand, might have been billions, I forget exactly. And somewhat justifiably, this man, who was, again, a pedophile, and that's how he and Lecter became acquainted. He was referred to Lecter for therapy after he essentially bought his way out of a conviction. Uh, uh, like, a, br- a brief aside, they really do kind of unfortunately downplay that aspect in the movie. And I really think that really badly tinkers with the way Lecter should be perceived, just, just strictly my opinion. The yeah, show again, rectifies wait that. Wait for the show. <laughs> there's no, there's no, no bones made whatsoever about what a monster Mason Verger is. None. Yay! So how many times are we up to with the show? Did it better? Oh, we're not. Get, oh, <laughs> we have not yet begun. <laughs> if you think that we've, you know, do, re- referred everybody to better moments in the show before. Google gobble, Google gobble. Yeah, I mentioned this off air to Mark and Sean. If if anyone out there wants to get drunk listening to this podcast, take a shot every time <laughs> Benjamin or I mention the show did it better. 
<laughs> because you will be blackout drunk by the time this thing wraps up. As uh, much as I'm enjoying this, I'm interested in, in the discussion following. There's 20 minutes of live time left, and who knows uh, what I'm the gonna, fuck I'm doing last time. I'm going to run through this as much as I can here. Uh, Verger harbors resentment and a desire for revenge that is somewhat commensurate with what Lecter did to him. And completely understandable in most ways. Uh, he has a $3 million reward out for the capture of Lecter, provided Lecter is brought alive to him, not turned into the authorities. There's a detective in Florence who is investigating the disappearance of the man that Dr. Fell took over for. He discovers that Dr. Fell is actually Hannibal Lecter. He tries to cash in on this reward. That goes very badly for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. He winds up dead. One of the people that uh, Verger sends after him also winds up dead. And here's my first contribution. Lecter did a much better job needling the surviving members of that team in the show than he did in the than he did in the movie uh he evades them he returns to the united states clarice is now made aware of him they play a very terrible game of cat and mouse he's abducted by verger's goons clarice tries to apprehend all of them in the name of truth justice in the american way this is <laughs> undone by a stray bullet i'm skipping over paul krendler played by ray liotta because while in the book, he is a character that needs addressing and resolution, and you don't feel one ounce of sympathy for the man as his brain is devoured. In the movie, he comes across as much more of a pawn, uh, yeah, a bit player. But Hannibal uh, walks Clarice out of the... Uh, Verger is fed to the pigs that he was trying to feed Hannibal to. There's actually a really good sequence in the book where they where Verger, the author rather, talks about, you know, uh, any pig will eat a dead body. Pigs will eat anything. Getting them to eat a live one takes a lot more selective breeding and conditioning. Uh, But yeah, his plan is to actually feed Hannibal alive to these hogs that he's had specially bred and raised so that they will do that. Uh, He winds up dying that way himself, actually. Uh, Which is a much kinder end than he gets in either the book or the show. Yep. Uh, uh, anyway, Hannibal takes Clarice away from that, treats her wound, uh, abducts Ray Liotta's character of Paul Krendler, hosts a dinner party with Clarice where he, uh, again, has removed the man's skull, cuts off portions of his brain, and actually feeds part of it to Ray Liotta, so then eating his own brain. Uh, Clarice winds up handcuffing them to each other. As the cops are about to arrive, Lecter winds up cutting off his own hand. He escapes. Clarice goes back to the FBI, and Hannibal Lecter feeds a portion of brain to a small child next to him on a flight. Mm. (laughs) Like you do. Hmm. Um, Sean, why don't you go ahead and talk about some of the production woes and interests that came out of this before I yell at this movie too much myself. Oh, well, yeah, I really should because it plays in no small part into why this was so disappointing. First off, I'm going to break with my usual rule, and that is the books don't fucking matter because in this case, the book does matter, and that's in part because while it wasn't 
like The Lost World, written pretty much exclusively to produce a cinematic sequel. Let's not kid ourselves. It played no small part in why Thomas Harris kicked this around for seven, seven to eight years writing it. Uh, it was definitely a motivator. Unfortunately, ho-ho! Crikey old fuck's Irish lunch truck did not backfire because what he ultimately ended up writing managed to run off the likes of Jonathan Demme and Jodie Foster and Ted Talley. Yeah, that's right. This movie got back neither the writer nor the director nor one of the principal Academy Award-winning stars of the first movie. Why? Well, in Jody's case, Jody didn't want anything to do with it because, pending on who you believe, it's either one of these three or a combination of some or all of them. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. According to Jody, she had another project she was filming right around the same time. Her ideal lead, Claire Danes, happened to become available to make it, and so that played into her bowing out. If you were to ask the studio, particularly Dino De Laurentiis, uh, they would say that it came down to Jody wanting far too much money and far too big a percentage of the gross. Uh, there are actually a number of stories of when somebody wanted too much money, uh, Dino would be very brusque in basically tell in basically telling either them or their representation off. Um, to further but, your Vince McMahon comparison, there. Um, well, I mean, he he would be like polite, but like kind of passive aggressively. Like, like supposedly, um, he was quoted as saying that his response to Jody's agent, when Jody's agent presented uh, her salary demands, were "Give my love to Jody Foster, goodbye." Um, <laughs> um, and that when uh, Jonathan Demi said, "I don't want to make this. This is ridiculously gory, and I'm not comfortable with this." His response was, best of luck to Jonathan Demi. goodbye. Um, and similar when uh, Ted Talley bowed out. Um, the, uh, and of course, the replacements we got were the replacement for Jonathan Demi was they got Ridley Scott. Interesting story about that. At the time when Dino approached Ridley about it, I mean like physically approached him, 
uh, Ridley was actually still on the set making Gladiator. When Ridley read the script for Hannibal, he thought it was referring to the famous historical conqueror and at first said, well, gee, I don't know if I want to do another historical epic. (laughs) Yes, really. (laughs) The man who gave us Alien and Blade Runner, folks. Um, uh, In place of Jodie Foster, we got Julianne Moore, but, you know, as much as I like her in uh, in a shit ton of other movies, this was was are you stalling in the case of the disappearing, reappearing accent? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. You, yeah, you want to talk about a drinking game? Sit down with this, grab you a bottle of the stiffest shit you can handle, and then take <laughs> and then take a shot every time, even within the same two or three lines of dialogue that the, the West Virginia ap- slightly Appalachian accent that um, uh, Jodie Foster perfected in the first movie just kind of comes and goes. It's like it's, it's Michael Fassbender bad, um, <laughs> which again I like her as an actress. I I really do, but goddamn, once you notice it, it's like the moment you notice that weird pulsing thing in uh in um, uh, Lisa from the room's throat. That, that, that's like a that's like a xenomorph chest burster that got that got turned around and is trying to pop its way out of her throat every time she fucking talks. Um, damn you, Scarlet, for pointing that out to me. I'm never going to be able to unsee that. Anyway, yeah, and, and damn you for pointing it out to me, by the way. And now I'll now and I haven't been able to unsee it since. You see what you did, Scarlet? You did it, and now I'm pointing it out to him, and now it's just going to keep fucking going. Ridiculous. It's not an Adam's apple because it's pointing out to the side, and they even note it, and Greg Sestero even talks about it in The Disaster Artist. The fuck is that thing? Anyway. um, So... That kind of all went down, and really, had they not uh, kind of had backup plans and every and everything, it could have fallen through entirely. And even even when it came to the ending, uh, I believe if I read correctly, I think it was Anthony Hopkins uh, who really didn't like the ending of the book, and was the one who, you know, what the hell with it? Spoiler rules out rules out the window. You've had time to read it. If you have if you haven't, hey, may your next shit be a hedgehog. Um but uh at the end of the book, um as Robert points out, Krendler gets nothing less than what he deserves. Um and Hannibal puts Clarice through some expertly executed hypnotherapy. Kind of. Um, very, oh, there's hypnosis, drug- there's drugs, there's right, all yeah, kinds of stuff that he yeah. uses. Yeah, and he manages to, for lack of a better word, basically just about permanently brainwash her. And they ultimately end up becoming 
more or less a pair of homicidal globetrotting lovers. Um, Clarice just kind of fucks off from the FBI with little more than a note left behind for her roommate. Um, and look, if we're being honest, I actually kind of like the ending of the book. <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm not the only one that was about to defend that. Uh, the way they you know, set I, it up in the book at least makes sense. I, I'm not the biggest yeah. fan oh, yeah, of it, yeah. but at least I, it makes sense. I, w- I yeah, would I, like I, some time to talk about that later. I, I especially, I especially like the way the narrator, who is you know omniscient and and invisible throughout the rest of the story, for the for the last couple of pages, just kind of comes out and might as well say in so many words. Okay, we saw them. We're going to back away very slowly right now because, quite frankly, these two scare us. That's because, um, for the, if memory serves, the final bit of the book is actually done from the perspective of Barney, who incidentally encounters them down in Buenos Aires. More or less. Uh, that's more or less. That's more or less what happens. Um, just like, yeah, uh, we're going to go bye bye now because Freddy pees. Um, <laughs> so. We can only learn but, so much and live is the is the final line in the book. Yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> I love you. that so favorite, much. One of my favorite final lines of any book I have ever read, right there. Um, and in the end, in the movie, and this is the reason why I came to hate this because I read the book after I saw, I saw the movie. Instead, nope. Anthony just chops off his hand and fucks off and. Fucks off and oh here you little crotch dumpling have some brain nom 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 um just I love the way the movie's shot I love Anthony Hopkins' performance of of course can't say a bad thing about that it's it's a great looking movie it's just that it's just that it goes from having the, the undue grisly reputation of Silence of the Lambs to earning it and then some going far, far overboard. The only other interesting thing I'll point out is Carrie motherfucking Oldman. Oh, God. God Went oh. uncredited oh, during the theatrical release yeah. of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carrie, at his insistence, wanted to be uncredited. In makeup so horrific that he said when he would show it to people, they would just walk away from him. Like, <laughs> fast. But like Olympic race walking, get the hell away from him. Um, just turned in an absolutely masterful performance. It's just that it's so unfortunate that it had to be in a lackluster version of what was at the time the least of the then three books, and even then it was still pretty good. Um, it's it, it's like pointing out that Luke Cage is the weakest of the Netflix Marvel series, but then uh, the same breath you kind of you're gonna get Mark mad. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, Mark! You oversold the hell out of that out of that finale. Come at me, bro. Um, um, (laughs) But, you know, but, but again, the thing you have to say is the way you have to say it, if you're to be honest about it is 
yeah, you know, out of the two seasons of Daredevil and that and the one season of Jessica Jones, it's the weakest of them, but it's still pretty goddamn good. That's the book. When it comes to when it comes to the movie, it's like so many other bad adaptations that I've seen, except in this case, I saw the movie first, saw it in theaters, and thought, eh, it was great, but it was pretty... But it was pretty good. And then after I read the book, it was more like I looked at it on my VHS shelf and went, die in a goddamn fire. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there's my thoughts on Hannibal in a nutshell. I'm going to just say one, one or two things here. Um, and I want to let Robert and um, Ben have their say. One, I was bored to shit watching this thing. And now, that might have been due to some... Um, <laughs> other factors going on at the time but like I kept like, I, I kept just fading in and out of the movie I kept losing interest and it only starts to pick up at the very end where, where, she, goes all, where she goes all fucking Dukes of Hazard and like rescues him and I'm like what movie did I I just sat through like an hour or so with some boring shit I've ever seen in my life and suddenly just the good old boys and she's running around with his dogs everywhere the guy falling out of his little and then and then we do another tonal shift, and it's you know it's Ray Liotta's brains for dinner, and, you know, and a foggy you know, and, and a foggy Julian Moore, and I'm like, oh, he needs food. Um, I dress on her though. I got to kick out of the dress. Uh, by the way, the special effects. I mean, if, Robert, if you want to correct this record and say no, 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 that thing. I have seen live brain before. That was accurate looking. That looks like some of the shittiest special effects I've ever seen. You and me go go punching each other over Transformers: Age of Extinction. I I would tell you that his brains look worse. I was I watched that. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, it's hang so on. Let me, let me. I will defend this in two ways, and in two ways only. One, that's a relatively accurate representation of what a brain looks like. It, it, like the brain is brain. not a very interesting I'm not, I'm not, looking I'm organ. With you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I don't have a lot, whole lot of, you know, I never got to dissect a cat in biology, so I have no clue here. But I've never like dissected a cat, but I've seen a few cadavers. I, a member of my ward when I was in scouts, or uh, actually ran the biology and anatomy lab over at a local university. So we would, uh, once a year or so, get to go see the cadavers as a learning experience. Okay. Very, very interesting. Very, uh, the smell of formaldehyde yeah, is strong. Yeah, sucked by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the I, smell I, of formaldehyde yeah, is strong, and you never quite look at beef jerky the same way. But Good night, everybody. Well, it, it, it's a decent visual representation. The CGI is awful. The, uh, I... I've, this is the second time I rewatched this movie, only the second time I've seen it in preparation for this. And this time when I got to that scene, I went, okay, this, is this, this part has the physical brain you built. This part has a dummy Ray Liotta instead of actual Ray Liotta. This part is green screened. And just in my head yeah. was just cycling through all the times that, nope, this is computer. This is physical. This is not a real actor. This is back to digital. And it just it utterly ruins it for me when you pay, it, it, anyone who pays that much attention, and I do, 
if it's that obvious, I mean, look, even Mark and, you know, Mark's tolerance for CGI and various effects is much different from mine. Not good, bad, or indifferent, just his tolerance is different than mine. If Mark is saying, yeah, come on now, we all okay, need to well, consider going, yeah, come on now. <laughs> yeah, I look, I, I, as Robert said, we have had this argument many, many times on what is now called Damn You Hollywood. And, and we'll I'm very... I am very forgiving of CGI, and it takes a lot to take me out of the movie. Maybe I wasn't in a good headspace already because I, what I felt when I was watching was shit to begin with. But I got to that scene. Now, I had heard about this when the movie came out. Like, this was the big deal. This was the, this was the main event. This is the reason you went to go see this thing was to go see Anthony Hopkins eat Ray Liotta's brain. I was ready for this. I thought I'd missed it or something until you know, the very end. Uh, which I just felt like it also came out of nowhere, but you guys maybe can fill in a plot detail I may have dosed off during. Uh, but I'm, I'm watching the scene play out, and there's no sense of tension. I don't think it was well-directed at all. And it looked like shit. And I kept... And, and, if, and even if it was, like, the best CGI you've ever seen in your life, I mean, mm-mm, looks like good brains to me. Ray Liotta's acting is so bad it should be studied. So... The book I does just, it better I, in large part because Lecter goes more deeply right. into the anatomy of the brain. So when he takes out, I mean, the, he briefly mentioned in this one, this is where th- people say the seat of good manners are. So he's clearly not going to miss this. No, he actually goes into what I'm cutting off right here is actually this center. So now, Mr. Krendler, you'll be feeling X, Y, and Z. And Clarice is fully on board with this at this point, having been transformed by Hannibal. And See, that would have been eat, much more interesting than her being no, half they fucking actually eat his, They eat his entire brain and then store the dishes in his empty skull cavity. <laughs> um, there's actually a line in that whole sequence in the book that I really enjoyed. Uh, because if you've ever met someone who's been lobotomized, that's kind of what you get with uh, Krendler for part of this. So he still functions for huge portions of this. He loses his eyesight, but not his ability to speak because they're located in different parts of the brain. Uh, and you know, he devolves. And uh, I think part of my, I, I really wish that they'd kept this in because of all the cringeworthy dialogue that they adapted for this <laughs> movie, including God help us all. I'm giving serious consideration to eating your wife. <laughs> Clarice Starling calling back as the result of an insult from Paul Krendler well what are you going to do when I ask for seconds didn't make the cut aww <laughs> which if you've yeah, got to perverse it, a sense of humor as I do is awesome <laughs> you know if, uh, if, I recall, if I recall correctly in the book I believe part of the reason why Krendler was so deserving of it was the fact that the guy was was a royal lech to, to Clarice pretty much the entire time. Yeah, it gets mentioned in the movie, but not nearly to the degree that it should have. His corruption was oh, much no. more... No, the, my big gripe with this movie, especially relative to Silence of the Lambs, is Silence of the Lambs is functionally a character study. It's not just mm-hmm. one character, it's several. It's several interesting characters in a very intense situation. 
but you get to know the characters. You get to see them interact. That's the draw. That's the interest. Watching you know, Clarice and Hannibal trade dialogue. Uh, you know that tremendous sequence. Uh, you know their final interaction face to face before she's drug off and he gives her the case file. That actually in the original script had a cutaway to a flashback where the where young Clarice would rescue a lamb and run off through the woods. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demi, to his everlasting credit, watched that sequence be acted and turned to one of the guys next to him and said, "If I cut from this, I'll be drummed out of the guild." <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> um, and, you know, and we go from these characters to this, which is a stock thriller. I mean, again, Mason Verger's an yeah. absolutely reprehensible human being, and that fails to come through in the movie in large part because they remove one of the primary victims of his target, uh, one of his targets, which is his sister Margot. Rectified in the uh, show done better in the show even though the what the her version in the movie or in the show is actually different from how she is in the book in the book she's a very large woman not fat she is uh, she's infertile mm-hmm. in the in the show for a different reason i won't spoil anything in the mm-hmm. book she's infertile because of steroid abuse so if you want to if you mm-hmm. need a visual image Nicole um, i was going to go with chris cyborg uh, with about five more inches and a hundred more pounds of muscle. There you go. Huh. Um, you know, as as long as we're talking about characters that get badly underused, you know who I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and throw in there, who who is oddly touching for as little as he gets mentioned, even in the book, is Jack Crawford. And it's because... And again, I'll, even I'll go ahead and throw this one out, even for the few episodes I've seen, done better in the show. Um, yeah. Is, uh, it's, it's mentioned just in passing in each of the books. Uh, he, and his, he and his wife, uh, Bella, I believe her name was. That's what um, he calls her. That's not her name. All right. Um, but, it, but in particular... <laughs> Um, Sorry, I, I, I'm neurotic when it comes to crap like that. I apologize. No, 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 no. That's 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 fine. It's been years since I read uh, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, or Hannibal. I'm fine with being corrected on that. Um, but the great Gina Torres you know, plays her in the show. Oh yeah, um, uh, it gives a, delivers a quite a fine performance in the show. Lawrence um, Fishburne life in real life. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Really? We did not know that. 
Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's oh. wife in in real life. So oh, very cool. take take a look well, at that chemistry with that in mind, and it makes even uh, more sense. Boy, that it does. That makes a lot. That works. That works really on a whole does. different level now that I think about right. it like that. But 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 getting back to what I was saying though, um, in the book, what's kind of alluded to a few times in sort of a way that kind of made me unexpectedly sad when I read it, um, was the fact that uh, it's alluded to in passing several times that Bella is really not is really not doing well and Jack is it's and caring for her and watching her and watching her wither away is kind of really wearing Jack down as well to the point that it's mentioned in the epilogue that um, uh, after the cancer finally becomes too much for her and he finally loses her not long after uh, he just when he was kind of laying in their bed alone and right when he was suffering his ultimately fatal heart attack the last thing he did was he rolled over to her side of the bed um (laughs) It's, uh, but again, it, it's one of those. It's one of those elements where it's, it's a mostly likable character. It, it's somebody that, um, is just kind of caught up in this whole, in this whole thing. But you're never given a, really a reason to hate him. He, he seems to care for the likes of both Will Graham and Clarice pretty, pretty deeply. Um, I always thought that was kind of a shame, that that he never got quite the play. In Silence of the Lambs or Hannibal, that uh, Harvey Keitel was able to give him in Red Dragon, but uh, that's that's possibly just my opinion. It's a minor quibble. A uh, question, and um, I, w- I want uh, Robert to try to answer this for me, and then Ben, I want you to kind of jump in here with some of your thoughts. Uh, I have many. Whatever they may be. I have many. Yes, I know you. And I and before the gods of Blog Talk Radio have decided that we have babbled about the subject long enough, I want to give you your say. Um, but did I miss something? I know in the very beginning there's an interaction with Ray Liotta and Julian Moore that sort of sets him up as a bit of a douche. Um, but I is there anything they interact, else in the movie? They interact more than that uh, a couple of times when she is investigating Lecter. He comes down and makes his presence known, and yeah, he's still a douche. Uh, he also goes through a very specific sequence on the phone with Mason Verger where they discuss him framing Clarice and getting her removed from duty. Okay. so, so that's Which you may have fallen asleep for, and I say that without any degree of facetiousness, uh, <laughs> because really, this movie is not terribly engrossing. No. Yeah. It kept losing me in a lot of different parts, and I'm generally able to follow this stuff. But, I, okay, I, I didn't know if that ending was earned, and I'm going to assume it was at least... Um, it was you know, set up to a degree. I don't think it was nearly as earned. Say what now? It was set up in the sense that he is an antagonist, and you want to see him get what's coming to him. This is another instance of... If I were to sum up Hannibal, it's just a poor adaptation. Fundamentally speaking, yes, yeah. Uh, in the again, in the book, it's much more deserved to the point where you don't feel sympathy for him. In the movie, it feels like 
oh, a gangbanger killed an innocent person in Los Angeles. Well, nuke it. <laughs> I'll say it, it, in the movie, it feels a little bit more like uh, like Paul Krenler as a character. Uh, just as big of a deuce as he was, uh, it seems like he was he just kind of ended up being at the in the wrong place at the wrong time in the movie or a little bit more than in the book where you know not only do you want to see something horrible happen to him you know it's it's coming and you're waiting for it all right Ben, why don't you continue there with uh, some of your thoughts you said you had a lot of them so i'm dying to hear this Yes, some of them are probably going to be uh, by way of me defending this movie a little bit. I I like a, I like a lot of things about the about this movie. Some of them Sean already mentioned, uh, mainly the the acting and and performances. Um and yeah, Julianne Moore is a good actress. She's no Jodie Foster, especially if you want to compare how both of them play this character. It's not even a contest. Um she does she does her best. Uh, she's probably one of the weaker links in the movie. Um, you know, R- Ridley Scott's one of my favorite directors, uh, a big influence on me visually. Um, you, you give me a movie of, you know, Ridley Scott filming on location in Florence with, you know, starring Anthony Hopkins and, uh, I'm a happy guy. Um, some of the better parts of the movie actually are, uh, to, for me are the scenes in Florence right up until, you know, what, uh, until you get towards the end. Um, and, and then I don't know if there's anything more that anybody can say about Gary Oldman that hasn't already be, been said. Um, if we're, if you want to talk about headcanon, I've got this, I, I've got this whole headcanon that on the set of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gary Oldman and, uh, and, Anthony Hopkins, fresh off the set of Silence of the Lambs, had some kind of conversation in which Gary Oldman bet uh, Anthony Hopkins that he could out-creep him in a Hannibal Lecter movie, and he didn't believe him, and then nine years later it happened. Yeah. Totally accepted. We're running with that. Yeah. Yep. So Incidentally, now that... uh. Leo finally got his Oscar. Dear Academy, can we finally give it to Oldman, who's deserved it more than Leo for many, many years now? Yes. Seconded, thirded, fourthed, whatever you want. Yeah. The fact uh, that he's only been nominated once also baffles me. And rec- only recently. Wasn't yeah, it, it was just Tinker like Taylor Soldier Spy. What was that, like two or three years ago, something like that? Uh, five, I think. Closer to yeah. five at this point. But yeah, still very That's... recently. But that's that's kind of the thing. Like Gary Oldman is almost like a uh, like a jumped up you know character actor. I mean, the fact that he's so good kind of elevates of kind of uh, you know what what could be described as lucrative obscurity for most uh, most character actors. Um, but that's kind of his his thing. Like his thing is disappearing completely into into a into a supporting role. Um, which is what he did here, and um, lesser a, actors, in fact, some very good actors, have been utterly buried by an eighth of the prosthetics that he wore for this movie. Absolutely, oh, and, this, yeah. and this is, and and um, the actor that plays uh, Mason Verger post mutilation in the show, uh, 
he's good. I I don't I don't I never had a I don't I didn't have a problem with him in the show mostly be, uh, also because they played up a lot of the more repulsive aspects of his character in the show at that point than even is done in this movie. Um but that's one of the few roles in the show that was not out that that did not outdo the movie. Like there was no touching Gary Oldman's performance in this um not no, for lack of effort, but man, there was just it just didn't happen. It, it wasn't going to happen. As much as I enjoyed the first actor who does him pre mutilation, uh, yeah, and I w- and I was kind of sad when they went a di- when they went with a different actor for yeah, again, Michael third- Pitt might have been might have had a chance to to do something with it that might have topped old. I don't know. We'll never know. But which uh, yeah, because that last scene involving him in uh, the second season when he has the traditional book set up. I mean, the man has no face. In the movie and in the television series as it goes on, they they rectify this with prosthetics. In the book, he has no tissue above the musculature. He exists in a sterile room with a mask over, not not on his face, but blocking the view of everything like below his eyes. And they have that set up in the uh, in the end of the second season, I believe. And he suddenly, you know, he's been this very physical actor in the sense that, you know, his body is his instrument as much as his eyes and his voice and, you know, his physical mannerisms play a great deal of, in his success. And then when he's got nothing but his eyes, it still works. Of course, the replacement got one of the ballsiest lines ever uttered on network television. Yeah, huh. and I'm and I'm not spoiling it either. Why? I'm not, I'm not spoiling it either. Uh, not when there's two people on here who haven't seen it yet. No, more incentive to go watch it. Um, the, I guess the last thing I want to I want to touch on is is I guess defending, defending the book a little bit. I guess. Um, I I, just, I really wanted to get this out. Just the fact that um. And I guess it's pretty well known. Thomas Harris didn't necessarily want to write this book. Um, we talked Keep to Robert and I talked about that mind when we talk about Hannibal Rising in two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Hannibal Rising, it still hurts. Thomas, Thomas Harris kind of checked out of uh, this this franchise and following this character after Silence. I think that would. You know, he more or less said everything that he wanted to say about the character. He, I guess, he figured there there could have been more to be said, but I don't think he necessarily wanted to. This book was kind of written. I've heard uh, for a, a couple of different reasons. Uh, Robert had mentioned that you know the movie was going to be made whether he wrote the story or not. So I guess he figured he might as well and do something with it. But it was. He also did it. It, because of that, it's, it also was kind of written out of spite, and that kind of shows if you really think about, if you really go back and look at it, and um, and how uh, Ridley Scott and um, uh, one of the one of the screenwriters that adapted this uh, was David Mamet. Um, Believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> who uh, you know who. Talk about you know more thankless jobs, and I don't love everything David Mamet's ever done, but when he's on, he's he's pretty he's pretty well on. 
Um, you know, they did their best adapting this movie. I don't think anybody was necessarily, I don't think anybody involved in making the movie was necessarily comfortable with some of the narrative direction that this, that the story took. This story is, you know, to put it bluntly, this story is a freak show. And I think that's the point. I think that is largely the point of the book that, uh, that Clarice's life has kind of devolved into this freak show. And despite, uh, despite that, everything that she kind of tried to build her life around, and this, they try to, they try to reflect this in the movie uh, with hit and miss success. Everything that she dedicated her life to, this career that she's built, this and everything that she abandoned and that she never, that she had to sacrifice uh, and never experienced to build this career, kind of falls apart around her. Everybody kind of uh, turns their back on her, and at the end, at the end of it all, at the end of all of this stuff that she's been through, kind of the only one that's left that's still actually there for her is Hannibal Lecter. Now, you know, that that can be taken two different ways. It's sort of the Twilight or, you know, Fifty Shades sort of way of looking at it. Like, if you want to, you can you can romanticize the hell out of that. However, if you look at it objectively, that is really messed up. And I think that was also the point. At the end of this, uh, yeah, she's basically drugged into uh you know into submission by Lecter and they kind of you know run away together and I think a lot of people had took issue with that just because it and I understand I totally get it I understand that it a lot of people felt that did a horrible disservice to the character of Clarice Starling especially with how she was built uh, up as, as such a great and such a strong character in, in Silence of the Lambs, only for something like this to happen and for it to be really her ultimate fate. Um, I get it, and I don't disagree with it, but I think the whole point of it, the whole uh, objective of the book is to show you that, yeah, this is a freak show, it's messed up, but it's still happening, and you know, at the end of the day, it's a horror story, and the most horrific thing about it is Lecter kind of won. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Yeah, about, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah, about about the only two things I would add to this are number one, yeah, Thomas Harris pretty much hates fuck. Um, <laughs> He, he he hates fucked it and left it crying in a fetal ball in the shower while he went around the corner for a burger. Um, and number two, you know, when you look at the talent you assembled for this movie, you got Ridley Scott directing it, David Mamet wrote it, Dino Crazy Pants, De Laurentiis produced it. Mamet and got, who's the other guy? There was another writer. Mamet that, wrote, wrote the first outline that was then heavily right. revised by Steve Zalian. Zalian? Yeah. Um, uh, most famously known for writing uh, Schindler's List. Okay, well, there you go. And then you go to the cast, and you got Julianne Moore, Anthony Hopkins, Ray Liotta, and uh, Gary, Old, Gary Oldman. You know what? Having all the pieces like that and then still turning in such a disappointing movie 
that's the equivalent to putting Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala on the floor for the Warriors, and you still get beat by the Cavs in the finals. Just you, you, look at it, you look at it, you look at it, and at the end, all you can do is just shake your head and just go, "How?" So, in your guys' knowledge of the movie and sort of the background, did the producers and writers and such just lose confidence or lose uh, some bravery in I, having they, her they, run away with I, him? I, I think they lost fucks to give. I think. I think that in all honesty, as you know, as as far out as the ending of that book was, I I think Ridley Scott and probably a couple of people took one look at the ending of that book and said, there's no way we can film this and, you know, have it play to a movie going audience. Um, that's, that's not to say the ending that it's we got. It's probably the rough better. equivalent of the first studio that bought the rights to Game of Thrones and they went, no, wait, Ned Stark dies? Yeah, nuts to this. Incidentally, George R. R. Martin and his murderous tendencies have nothing on Thomas Harris and his ability to crush your soul. No. The failure of the movie cannot have pursued that line of, um, of an ending. Uh, it would have made because here's here's my one of my problems with Hannibal. I don't find Clarice to be interesting in this movie. She was phenomenally interesting, complex, and Silence of the Lambs. And in this one, she's just sort of there. And it and I might have been turned around if at the end of all things she you know she goes, what have I got to lose? You know, and in her mind, you know, this is the only man who truly cares about me, and she runs away with him. Well, there's a there's a big there's a big subplot in the book about Clarice's life not living up to expectations, and come to find out later in the book, a majority of that is actually Paul Krendler's fault. He, through his position at Justice, blocks not only her attempt to get on at behavioral sciences, but once she diverts into again, I forget what field she goes into again i believe it's either a fugitive acquisition warrant serving some very you know field labor intensive work like that still blocks her from getting interesting assignments uh her ability to advance up either the chain of command or you internally at the fbi the guy's just a monumental uh just a scumbag of the highest order I mean, he is the yeah, and and because that plays so heavily into the book, it may, a degrees of it make more sense. She is an interesting character in that you know she had this tremendous experience capturing Buffalo Bill, you know, saving that you know saving a life, brushing you know Icarus flying you know towards the sun with Doctor Lecter, but she actually but you know managing to avoid plummeting to her death. And then everything else is for various reasons. Some of it, again, a majority of it is actually Paul Krendler because she turned him down for uh, you know, various performances. Yeah, mind if I and, float something with with this too? Uh, no, go based ahead. on a lot of what you based on what a lot a lot of what you're saying, and I, you know, this crossed my mind a couple of times, but you actually kind of reinforced it a lot. Um, 
it's the question, the character in Silence of the Lambs versus the character in Hannibal, and in, in, and I think uh, in Silence of the Lambs there were a lot of things that Clarice Starling was doing and proactively uh, pursuing, as opposed to in in this movie and even in the book where it's more a lot of things happening to her, and maybe that maybe that's a factor. Maybe that you know I would agree maybe with that. that affected it. It's certainly in the movie as far as how it plays, because like you said, in the in Silence, she is proactive. She is interesting. She is doing stuff, mm-hmm. you know, ris- uh, irrespective of Lesnar, uh, Lesnar, Lecter. <laughs> there, there's a remake for you right there. Yes. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs starring Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Heyman is Chilton speaking for uh, Brock Lesnar as Lecter, who just simply refuses to speak, now oddly intrigues me. <laughs> I can I, I can see him in that I can see him in, in like in the center of the cell, like like when he's first introduced in, in Silence of the Lambs, but he's doing like that two step dance that he always does. I think a better introduction to Brock Lesnar, maybe not an introduction, maybe we can wait a scene or two, is him F fiving multiple MIGs. Uh, and you see and you see and I, and now He has I'm to break through the it. wall to get into the adjoining cell to do it though. He, he could. Yeah, Kool Aid man. And now I'm just thinking of that scene from Silence of the Lambs where Lecter describes what he did to the last profiler who tried to who tried to quantify him instead of the whole classic bit about the liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. It, it just that that line from one of his post fight UFC inter, interviews where I'm just imagining him just screaming at Clarice. I do that lucky horseshoe out of his ass, and I beat him upside the head with it. Woo! Now I'm going to go lay on my wife. Um, I might even get on top of my wife tonight. (laughs) Listen, Winfrey, I'm going to need a budget. I'm going to start working on the screenplay. Hannibal, Brock Lesnar is Hannibal Lecter. Make it so. You know what? As a weird byproduct, since we talked about Brock Lesnar, just a weird uh, note. Canadian Brock Lesnar is better than American Brock Lesnar. And if you don't believe me, compare his post-fight speech at UFC 100 to his post-fight speech at UFC 200. Okay, when you put it that way, yeah, I'll grant you that. (laughs) That said, American Brock Lesnar is much more entertaining. 
Uh, no, but it, to Ben's point, I completely agree that, you know, turning Clarice from an active into a passive character uh, killed her interest, uh, you know, from a viewer, from a movie going perspective. Oh, does anyone know, was this just fucked um, from, by the studio executive sort of monkeying around with it or giving notes? Nobody to liked to- that ending. This is I, the thing that gets no. uh, ignored a lot. I mean, you know, Ben defending it, Sean kind of defending it, my somewhat defense of it. You have to understand, we do not represent the average uh, either moviegoer or reader no. of books. Everyone else I know hates the ending to that book. My stepmother threw the book across the room when she got to that part. So everyone wants Clarice to be Superman. That's what you're telling me. Okay, I got I don't it. know. I, I, and again, different people argue it differently. I mean, look, I've only... Att- I've, I've never actually thrown a book. Uh, no, I have not. I nearly did. Hang on. My, brother, my immediately younger brother threw uh, the third book in the Game of Thrones in A Song of Fire and Ice across the room. What? Not spoiling that. The third book. Thank it's you. A ca- it's a common reaction to events in that book. I w- I'm not saying why. I'm just saying. Third book. He threw it. The closest I ever came to throwing a book was the end of The Dark Tower. And I didn't because it was a hardback and I believe a first edition. And I wasn't going to ruin the ooh. book. And it was heavy. And, and those are heavy as hell. I've got one too. And I, I, so I very calmly set it aside and screamed in my pillow for three minutes. After which I put the book in a different room and didn't look at it for a month. I understand. The difference being, I happily concede that is the correct ending to that story. Yeah. Listen, in the interest of time at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to draw our To answer your question, no, nobody liked the ending to that story. Okay. Uh, Ridley Scott actually called Thomas Harris apparently and said, are you married to this? And he said, no. (laughs) So, no, when they adapted it, they changed that. I mean, I don't think they felt they could make it play right. And when you look at what they cut from the book to adapt it, it doesn't play in the same way. I still think they should have maybe tried it because the ending we got is nonsensical. Has anybody no, the, heard? The book, real quick, the book sounds really interesting, a lot more interesting than the fucking movie was, and it's and I, and I and I understand that we are in the minority. We don't need to go over all the gory details of that. But for just my own self, I'm much more interested in the story of someone falling from grace, losing their angel wings, and becoming a devil than I am in yet another superhero trying to tackle a supervillain. We, you know, and I'm saying and that no, in 2006. The book is much more. That's much comic. more. This world is so terrible, even the best of us fall. That that it will just yeah. do that to you. Can I? Can right, I also say? Right. Has anybody? Has anybody heard uh, the? Does anybody have the DVD of this? Has anybody seen the DVD? Because there's, there's I do own the uh, anniversary DVD. I didn't get around yeah. to watching the alternate ending before this show, though. I don't remember if there actually is an alternate ending. Um, I remember oh, there's some deletes. I remember there's some deleted scenes, and I know Ridley Scott did some commentary about it, and I don't remember if this was filmed or not, but even the idea that he had for the alternate ending to the movie was better, which is basically uh, uh, Lecter is cornered by all of the FBI and and police that are coming into uh, 
that are coming to get him, uh, and he doesn't escape, but he simply like calmly walks into the lake behind, you know, behind Paul Krendler's lake house and doesn't resurface. And the implication is that he would rather die than go back to go back to prison. Oh, I would have accepted that even that. better. Yeah, I'm not down with that at all. That 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 makes now, me apparently yeah, there is an alternate ending on my on the bonus DVD that I have in this. So I will watch that and get back to you guys for the next show at a minimum. Compared compared to the ending of, that we got in the movie, which was I don't know what that was. I'm not saying that you know. <laughs> I would have taken. That, here's the weird thing about that: if he's going to be surrounded. I almost wish they'd go the same route that uh, Mads Mikkelsen did when uh, for that scene in Hannibal. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. That's infinitely a better a better <laughs> you know story. That's infinitely a better way that you know they could they would have gone about doing it. Uh, but you know, given the two choices of you know, you know, getting hit in the head with a hammer, or getting hit in the head with a baseball bat, you know, <laughs> there you go. Fair play. All right. Speaking of being hit in the head with things. I'm, uh, this has been great, and I'm sure we could go for another hour, but we are running out of mystery time. So I want everyone to get their plugs in. Um, please keep them relatively brief so as not to possibly cut somebody else off magically. Um, Sean, go ahead, and why don't you plug what you're doing with, um, uh, with Lambert and Stuart and Co. Okay. Uh, first off, thank you to Mark, Ben, Robert, Always love podcasting with all you guys, Robert and Ben in particular. I don't think I get to do it nearly enough for my liking. Uh, Right now, these days, uh, number one, I just became the online marketing manager slash marketing director, I should say, slash Facebook account admin for Honeysuckle Rose Creations, which is a geeky jewelry and accessory site run by my longtime friend and uh, ex-fiance, Alexis Haina. Uh, So you can catch me showcasing all kinds of uh, fun items and other posts and and whatnot on Facebook pretty much seven days a week. In the meantime, uh, you can also find me on various podcasts over at fpgnews.com and in particular, uh, I now have a running sort of uh, blog multi-channel, I guess you could say, on my own over there. Uh, Stuart, bless his heart, uh, decided to name it the Comer Codex, and I absolutely love that. Uh, most recently, uh, coming up the soonest on October 30th, you can tune in that evening or just check it out the next day on Halloween for my full-running, basically live blog recap of WWE Hell in a Cell. If you go over there right now, uh, you can read back, just in case you might have missed it, on my extremely detailed recap coverage of WWE No Mercy. If you've already been clicking it and reading it, thank you all so much. The traffic is reflecting that miraculously this is finding some traction. I've got a lot of other ideas for new blogs that I'm going to be doing in the very near future now that I've kind of got myself settled in. Uh, It's good to have a home over there in addition to here on the Rod Legend Broadcasting Network, but in the meantime, that's where you can find me find me these days 
tweet your love, hate, and respectful disagreements to me at Comer Codex on Twitter. And in in the meantime, always remember that $20 will buy mini peanuts and never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. Ben, uh, explain how. <laughs> Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, these are my people. It must be it must always be seen be seen to its logical conclusion. That bit, I mean. Okay, uh very quickly. Um before someone says dental plan. Oh, don't even breakers. start. Damn it. <laughs> plugs, hold on. You're making me choose between plugs and census quotes. Damn you all. Go with your, uh, go with your plugs. I, I won't go for a second series of it. So don't worry about it. We're do well. Apparently, we're breathe. we're doing what amounts to a Simpsons podcast next week. So we'll save it for then. Sean, call in if you want. I guess. Uh, I'll think about it at time. All right. Um, as always, as ever, I write, draw, self-published comic called Soul Exodus. You can find it on my website, soulexo.com. On Facebook, facebook.com/soulexo. On Twitter, soul at soulexocomic. Uh, my comic is also available to download digitally through drivethroughcomics.com. If you're interested in that, if you're interested in digital comics, check them out. Look for my comic under the banner. Either You can search either under Soul Exodus or uh, Epic Team Productions. I uh, just finished up New York Comic Con a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the record remains strong. I got sick again during during convention time. It happens every year. You can set your watch to it. Uh, but I managed to persevere, uh, just to thank you to everybody that helped me out during that time and everybody that got, to, uh, I got to interact with and everybody that, uh, bought comics, bought artwork, uh, you know, I greatly appreciate it and I hope to have new and very interesting things coming very soon. I'm finally hope to really get my act together as far as producing new content. It's been a while and I want to get back in the game uh, very soon. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, Sketchbook Saturday, I do Sketchbook Saturday on Twitter and Facebook every Saturday. Uh, I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to do some Halloween related stuff. I just did the, the Cenobites from Hellraiser this past weekend. Uh, you guys seem to enjoy it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do something Halloween related this week. Cause I have a couple of other ideas based on things that have already happened this week that I may address depending on how soon the, the spark for it has, uh, will die out by Saturday, but we'll see. And, uh, Sean knows what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I may change my mind completely. I got, I always have ideas. I always take requests. I make friends through art and sketchbook Saturday has become a very, very effective way for me to do that. And I'm very grateful. And I hope to continue it for as long as I possibly can, unless somebody cuts off my right hand with a meat cleaver. Uh, And that's about it for me for now. No, this bugs me. Uh, Those cuffs aren't tight enough. When I rewatched that movie this time, I was like, no, those aren't tight. He could have slipped out of those. Probably. Go. Uh, I'm in the midst of a bit of a lull for my normal 
activities. Normally, I provide live coverage for MM, for UFC events specifically, but sometimes smaller organizations in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. But since old man Penn broke a hip, I mean rib, and they had to cancel the event that was to go on last Saturday, and this Saturday was always supposed to be off, I'm in the a bit of a lull, but uh, not this Saturday. Excuse me, not this Sunday, the 30th. Sunday the 30th, uh, I will host the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. We will be previewing UFC Fight Night 98, the finale of the Ultimate Fighter Latin America Season 3. The only reason to care about this card is the main event, because Tony Ferguson and Rafael Dos Anjos are going to fight, God's willing. Dear God. (laughs) And I am amped for that one. Um, This coming uh, Friday, the 28th, I'm happy to announce a return. Not sure if it's ongoing or just one of, but at the at, at a minimum, the 28th will feature the return of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy with a special look at just the antagonists from the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors uh, series. Uh, Ben's going to be a part of it. I think Jesse Starcher might want in on that one. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get to rewatch all of those. I'm going to fire up the Voltaire music and we'll be back for at least one more episode forthcoming. So look forward to all of that. And two weeks from tonight, when we tackle red dragon and Hannibal rising, and I have to apologize again to all of you for subjecting you to that one. (laughs) I am going to defend the book. Be prepared for that. Everyone. All right, real oh, quick, keeping um, with the theme of not Halloween. Not tremendously. It's still not great, but at least the book makes sense. <laughs> Metal Hammer called an audible last night, and we, instead of reviewing the new Meshuga, which bored the shit out of at least two of us, uh, we decided to go with Lordy, uh, the new um, Monsteriophonic uh, Theater Terra versus Demonarchy. Demonarchy. Uh, we love that album. That was a, that was a Jesse and I have had a ball with that one. Robert Cooper thought it was hilarious, especially ugly hardcore. But if you haven't heard it, don't play it around children. Um, that was uh, Lord, Lordy's awesome as a general rule. <laughs> yeah, Lordy is Lordy is amazing, and if you, if you haven't heard the new album, check it out. Um, and if you want some more uh, Lordy, go check out uh, Would You Love a Monster Man? First song I ever heard by them. Totally turned me onto the band forever. Um, uh, anyway, that's what yeah, that one, Blood Red Sandman. Actually, the whole Apocalypse album is really uh, what do you good. Call it? Uh, Cooper really likes uh, hard, uh, what do you call it? Um, something or other, Hallelujah. Hard Rock um, Hallelujah. That's Another really good All one. Right, next week, next week uh, we got Metal Hammer of Doom, Corn, The Serenity of Suffering. Uh, we will be back with another Long Road to Ruin, uh, the second part of our Hannibal Lecture series, as Robert just said. And um, if you've been missing Long Road to Ruin, and I know you have, the fun doesn't stop here. We're going straight through November with the Harry Potter series. We will be um, now. I expect an appropriate amount of outrage that the late uh, Alan Rickman was not at least nominated for the final Harry Potter movie. Sure, we're breaking it two two by two by two, but the schedule is a little a little wonky. So bear with me here. Uh, the first installment is November 3rd. The second installment is November 10th. No problem there. Um, uh, the, when we get to number three, we're going to go on Tuesday instead of Thursday. Reason being that we're going on a, uh, you know, unless it's been canceled, 
my wife and I are going on a double date to go see Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, which is why we're doing the Harry Potter series in the first place. So uh, we're, I, the couple that we're going with could not wait to go Friday. So we're gonna go. We're gonna catch the Thursday screening, um, and then we're gonna wrap that up with. Uh, we're skipping Thanksgiving week, and we'll wrap the thing up on the uh, the fourth. Sorry, we'll wrap the thing up on December first. And uh, real quick, Gavin, I finally gave in. They're not making the fucking Gambit movie. God damn it. So I let Gavin just. Uh, I, get, I let Gavin pick a long road to ruin to do. Just gonna be me and him. Um, we're gonna do three Paul Thomas Anderson movies. What, what do you remember? What they were, Robert? What we picked? You will be doing Boogie Nights. Uh, there will be Blood and The Master. Yeah. So, um, so the special uh, version of Long Road to Ruin, Gavin style. Uh, me and him talking three Paul Thomas Anderson films. And uh, then Sean and I will be back uh, again on another Tuesday edition of Long Road to Ruin on December 13th. Uh, our last one for the year, the Cornetto uh, Three Flavors Trilogy. That one was a special request. Uh, I have, I've seen two out of three of those. I have not seen at uh, World's End yet, so, or whatever the name of it's called. Uh, so that gives me a reason to go and watch it. I've heard excellent. Again, the reason why we're not doing it on Thursday is because I'm going to see fucking Rogue One. Uh, fuck all y'all. Nice. <laughs> Star Wars. That's all I got to say. Hey, uh, you ended you. with uh, another Matt Mickelson reference there. Good for you. Um, just a special shout out to Sean here real quick. He's going to be on Damn You Hollywood uh, December 27th. Uh, he'll be joining in with his perspective on the Assassin's Creed movie. Um, so that's oh, all. yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. I got you penciled in, buddy. <laughs> Um, and then we'll be back uh, in January with our, our first long road to ruin in January will be the underworld series. You all have so to suffer already. just as much as I do with that new movie. <laughs> right. Uh, I like to spread the suffering around. See, um, that's it. That's all for plugs. Uh, I'm dangerously, uh, anxious about getting cut off here. So, uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Robert, for doing the heavy lifting on the show. Sean, uh, missed you. I'm glad we got to get we were able to get together and do this. I'm looking forward to concluding our talk on how to blacker next week. Uh, for everyone here at the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, this has been Long Road to Ruin. Be well, be safe, and behave.